This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the Monday morning to you. Oh, yeah, we're starting a whole new week. And uh, what better way to do it than talking about Donald Trump? You know, he came in like a wrecking ball. He's still at it, folks. And uh, we got to figure out what is going on with him. Tomorrow is the big uh, California primary. This is it. This is it. Hillary Clinton, is she going to uh, finally push Bernard Sanders out? I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. We'll be talking about that in a few moments. Um, we've also got a great uh, guest uh, interview we're going to be doing with Stephen Spaulding up in a few minutes about big money in politics. It's an interview we did a few months ago, but it's still so, so appropriate and pertinent to why why we may be facing the candidates we're facing. It might be a big money issue. And we'll get to that as well as just uh, maybe a little talk about Muhammad Ali the passing of a legend. We'll get to all of that, but first, Caitlin Thomas is back to do the news. Hello, Caitlin. Good morning. Teach us. What do we need to know? Okay, well, speaking of Muhammad Ali, these are our headlines today. Boxing great Muhammad Ali died over the weekend. Ali died Friday at a Phoenix area hospital where he had spent the past few days being treated for respiratory complications. He was 74. Ali had suffered for three decades from Parkinson's disease. A funeral service is planned in his hometown of Louisville, Kentucky on Friday. After an easy victory in the U.S. Virgin Islands on Saturday, Hillary Clinton moves to just 60 delegates short of the 2,383 needed to clinch the Democratic nomination, thanks in part to her edge of 547 superdelegates. However, Bernie Sanders shows no signs of conceding anytime soon, telling reporters, quote, It is extremely unlikely that Secretary Clinton will have the requisite number of pledged delegates following six states' primaries on Tuesday, including delegate-rich California. In other words, he says the Democratic National Convention will be a contested convention. At least four people were wounded in a shooting in Coney Island around 3 p.m. on Sunday, New York police say. None of the wounded victims suffered life-threatening injuries and all were considered stable Sunday afternoon. Further details were not immediately available. A wildfire in Calabasas, California, forced the evacuation of about 5,000 area residents this past weekend. The blaze reportedly broke out on Saturday afternoon when a pickup truck hit a power pole. Three firefighters have been injured fighting for the blaze. The fire has so far burned about 500 acres in the area, and it's known for its high-profile residents. A deputy with the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department said that the vast majority of those who left the area did so under a mandatory evacuation, but that evacuation has since been lifted. And finally, Matt, Zootopia has yes. surpassed $1 billion in global earnings this weekend, making it only the 26th movie in history to achieve the mark. The Walt Disney film is only the fourth animated movie to hop over the $1 billion line, wow. joining the ranks of Minions, Toy Story 3, and Frozen. Zootopia. I love that movie. I haven't seen it yet. You haven't? Mm-hmm. No. Waiting for it to come out on it, DVD. It is out on DVD. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. came out over the weekend. Oh, yeah, this weekend. Yeah, I've been busy this weekend. I mean, yeah, I totally understand. Pulling that. weeds. Oh. Pulled my hammies, too. Holy cow. Big weeds. Big, <laughs> Big weeds. Happy weekend, man. Strained my hammies. Good to have you back. Yeah. And uh, you gave up your crown. I gave up my crown on Saturday. It was a crazy long week. You were a queen, a... Uh, ru- <laughs> 
<laughs> little tribute to yeah, you. Yeah, so I'm here this week, and then Miss Lehigh. I'm out again next week uh, as I compete at Miss Utah. Well, do us proud. Thanks, Matt. And try to use the name of the show as much as you can. I'll throw when that in When they're asking there. you questions. <laughs> What's wrong with America? Well, the, at the Dr. Matt Townsend Show. According to my boss, Matt We Townsend, talk a lot about that on the Dr. Matt Townsend Show. Seven to, no, what is it? Nine to, I... nine to noon Eastern. That's good. Well, good to have you here, Caitlin. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Come on back. We'll do it again. Poor Caitlin has to put up with us. She was so at peace when she wasn't here. And now she's back. Hey, we've got a great show for you. I mean, what do we want to talk about? Holy cow. Political season. We've got a big uh, big primary tomorrow. And it's going to be, you know, according to Hillary Clinton's group, it's, it's it. This is it. This is where Bernie can just officially resign and move on and just be done. Just give up everything and walk away. Now, Bernie's got a whole other plan. He is now basically, according to CNN, claiming, you know, contested convention. Isn't he just grasping at straws? No. No? Here's the deal. If you, to- if you pull away your superdelegates mm. and he wins California, it's still pretty tight. What about, what about New Jersey? They're voting, too, tomorrow. Are they voting tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, it's kind of, they're overlooked, as always. Interesting. They're more of a, just a huge industrial park, is what yeah. I've heard. I've never been there. Oh, it's a great place. It's really beautiful. I was actually born there. Really? Yeah. That explains a lot. Um, <laughs> Ooh, ouch. <laughs> yeah. He was born there, lived in Washington State, also lived in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. We've heard it all, Ben. He loves spam, apples, and, and big industry. And big hair from New Jersey. Okay. It's totally hot. Here's the deal. Um, I, I Bernie's not going away, even though no. Clinton wants him to go away. But he's not going away until... The big convention where the, then the superdelegates will officially vote. So will it be contested simply because he's there? Yeah. Not because it's actually contested? Well, apparently his his entire team is divided. Mm. One are like, let's just roll and give Hillary what she wants. And the other's like, whatever. Do you think the one that wants to roll has a job opportunity? For sure. From the Clinton campaign? Yeah. Everybody is so down on how the Republicans have caved into Donald, but everyone's caving into Hillary. Yes. Every party's caving There's into lots their of, lots leader. lots of caving happening. The problem is you can cave all you want, but that's why everyone is voting against you, right? That's why ever, so many people voted for Trump is because they're sick of, you know, weak, weak-spined GOP members. Do you want to hear some classic uh, yeah. GOP caving? Yes. Mitch McConnell <laughs> goes on uh, – what was he on? Was it NBC? I think it was NBC. And they were talking about – Trump's comments towards the judge in the Trump University yeah. trial, he called, he goes, I think he's a Mexican. Man's from Indiana. We'll talk. You know what he has said about this federal judge that's overseeing the Trump, uh, Trump University lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, he has called, he has uh, essentially said he cannot be impartial because he's Hispanic. That's a, is that not a racist statement? No, I couldn't disagree more with a statement like that. Is it a racist statement? I couldn't disagree more with what he, what he had to say. Okay, what? but do you, why, will you, what? do you think it's a racist statement to say? I, I don't agree with what he had to say. What? This is a man who we, was oh. born in Indiana. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all of us came here from somewhere else. I think the party of Lincoln wants to win the White House. And the, the right of center world needs to respect the fact that the primary voters have spoken. He, Donald Trump has won the nomination the old-fashioned way. He got more votes than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Is he the perfect candidate for a lot of us? Not, he isn't. 
But we have a two-party system here. And Hillary Clinton is certainly not something that I think would be good for the country for another, for, to, to continue basically the Obama uh, administration for another four years. So was the statement racist? <laughs> uh, I don't agree with that. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so he asks him three times. He doesn't actually say yes or no. Uh, so you're not sure. He doesn't agree with the statement, no. but the que- he wasn't answering the question, obviously. Well, and then he got into the two-party thing and... I mean, it's it's, a, it's an interesting point. The reason why everyone's caving is because the people have spoken. Yes. But you don't agree with the people. Right. You don't and, agree with the decision, but you're going to go with it anyways. Well, and so you can, you can do both. You know what? I think the statement, I don't know, racist or not, uh, entirely politically stupid and irrelevant and seemingly racist, and uh, his voters have voted. Yeah. And they chose him. And that's who the GOP chose. I guess that's who we are. <laughs> I mean, the reality yeah. is all of that can coexist, and I don't agree with it, and he's the leader. <sighs> it just seems really confusing if you're – You can't win. Especially when you have people that are talking so much about morals and this this is our principles yeah. and this is what we're going to do. And I know. Except but, when it comes to president, we'll just kind of let it slide. But, but I think they guy. quit talking about morals a long time ago. Yeah, they may have lost that you argument. You know what I mean? They can't, they can't do that argument anymore. But it's like, oh, man, Trump doesn't – he doesn't – he doubles down. Triple, quadruple. And now he's doubling or tripling down saying – I Muslim judges, I wouldn't have a fair shake with either. Holy cow. You just can't win. Would we a Muslim are, judge be also out of the question we here? We are allowing tremendous numbers of people coming into this country that we know nothing about. We, are, we have a problem in this country. We are going to have big problems. You know, I've been pretty good at predicting things, John. We're going to have big problems. We have people coming into this country totally undocumented. They don't know anything about them. They don't have paperwork. I've interviewed and talked to the best law enforcement people in the business. There's no way of knowing where they come from. And we're taking them in from the so-called migration. This wasn't the question. They're being sent all over yeah. the country. We have people that don't know what they're doing. My question is, if it, were a, Muslim, stop it. If it were a Muslim judge, would you also feel like they wouldn't be able to treat you fair, fairly because of that policy of yours? Uh, it's possible, yes. Yeah, that would be possible. Absolutely. Some some of that is they're they're baiting him, right? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> hey, you want some hey, candy? Look, let's pick this group, and uh, do you think this kind of judge? Would, yeah, they're baiting him. They're trying to get him to say something, and I don't oh. know. It, I guess it's an also an honest question since he has the the policy that he's put out. Yeah. Where no, oh, yeah, well, and you know he's going to say something. I mean, it took him forever to say it, but which gets us back to the baiting part. Yeah, and it makes good television, I guess, and it makes semi good radio. Yeah. I mean, partially good radio. Uh, it's also – it's not Trump. He's not the only one taking the hit right now. Stephanopoulos, even even Stephanopoulos went after Hillary Clinton on whether she broke uh, State Department rules. Do you now accept their conclusion that your exclusive use of a personal account was not allowed, that you broke State Department rules? You know, look, George, I uh, thought that the uh, report actually uh, made it clear that uh, the practice I used uh, was used by other secretaries, other high-ranking State Department officials. I will say it was a mistake. I would not do it again, but I think that the rules were not clarified until after I had left and the first Secretary of State to use a government email account was John Kerry some months into his tenure. Those are the facts. 
so I'll take it that you don't accept their conclusion. Just one other question on this. Has there, have you had any contact yet with the FBI, you or your agents, over this matter? I, I have not been asked uh, to come in for an interview. I've said I am more than Still willing since asked. last August, no. and I would like to do that uh, sooner instead of later and get this matter wrapped up and behind us. You'll notice oh. they always ask, have you been contacted? And she goes, I have not been asked to come in and talk to them, which uh. does – which so – she could have been contacted, but she's not saying yes or no, which means she's probably been contacted. <laughs> but there's no meeting that's been set. Yeah, she so can't. she's jumping to the next question instead of answering the one that's been asked. This is why people don't like politicians. No. And then this is why they say it's all all this all this, you know, politically correct talk talking, all of this um what do you call it? Just shucking and jiving. Mm-hmm. That's what they're all doing. Well, but at the and same getting started. At the same time the the people interviewing them ask a question the question is an answer and they just move on yeah. instead of get that answer yeah. hold them to it because they're avoiding something right. fine you know but they they just either time or they're not listening mm-hmm. and they just move on but i guess they think i mean any, anybody that loves hillary thought that was a brilliant answer totally agrees anybody that hates hillary thinks uh, just read i can't trust that some word. of that if you read the document that came out it says that well, Colin Powell used a private email. He didn't use a server in his house. Right. And the whole point of the server being in her house means it's not secure. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what we're concerned about with all this is was was the information secure? Was it handled correctly? And all the evidence seems to be pointing that there were problems. Yeah. And she keeps saying, no, 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 everyone else was doing it. But they weren't to the extent that she was. She mm-hmm. was doing something yeah. completely different than oh, everyone yeah. else. Well, and is still, I mean, it's lied about things right there i mean there were lies like i mean yeah. she said that the justice department was totally with her they're not or the state department was yeah. totally with her and they can, and they weren't the report says they weren't yeah <laughs> but she keeps nah, spitting it, spun it. it. It's, it's it's interesting to yeah. watch see how how if you can spin your way out of something so it's interesting everyone else, everyone's trying to get trump and clinton but does trump have anything to say about hillary clinton who made fun of the fact that he's got uh, thin skin it's not hard to imagine Donald Trump leading us into war because someone got under his very thin skin. What's your response to that? Well, first of all, I don't have thin skin. I have very strong, very thick skin. And when somebody's right about me, I always, you know, if you do a report and it's not necessarily positive, but you're right, I never complain. I do complain when it's a lie or when it's wrong. But I have a strong temperament, and it's a very good temperament, and it's a very in-control temperament. Mm-hmm. Or I wouldn't tremendous. have built this unbelievable company. I wouldn't have built all of the things that I've been able to do in life. I mean, my my skin is supple. It's <laughs> I was it's thick, youthful. I was waiting for all that. I have there. thick, leathery, <laughs> thick skin. The minute your candidate's talking about their skin, I used a lot of product to get my skin <laughs> to look this way. <laughs> oh boy, the cows would love to have my skin. Yeah. Wow. This is good politics. It's fun. <sighs> Too bad America's going down the hill. Isn't that crazy? It makes great uh, radio, great uh, television, but I don't know if it's going to make great politics. Huh. Hmm. We'll have to see. We'll find out. Let's, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll be speaking with um, Stephen Spaulding about money, the impact of money, and... Um, Really, folks, irrespective of party, the country is is thinking there's way too much money going on in these political campaigns. And it might be getting us candidates that aren't candidates we really want at all. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've heard much on the subject of money and politics. Uh, remember, uh, the last State of the Union, President Obama himself has spoken on the, the topic. Um, it's no secret that there is a rising problem of big money's role in our nation's political system. In fact, according to a New York Times CBS poll completed last summer, 84% of Americans, irrespective of party, believe that the money has too much influence on political campaigns. While plenty are aware of the threat the power of big money has um, on the country's democracy, little is being said about the actual solutions for how you fix it. Everyone will say we've got to do something about it. It's a great, I guess, position. But uh, in the end, what are the solutions? What are the real answers? And in fact, some people probably wouldn't say that there is a problem with too much money. Uh, joining us now is Stephen Spaulding, legal director and senior policy counsel, uh, counselor at Common Cause, where he works to reduce the undue influence of money in politics and expand access to democracy. Uh, by the way, trying to do it with the highest ethical standards in government. Wouldn't that be a great thing? He joins us now to talk to us more about uh, the financial impact on our democracy. Stephen Spaulding, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Pleasure to be with you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Talk to us about this. This, I mean, we hear about it all the time, but then when I when I get into some of the articles and read more about what's going on, this is this is crazy money. This is these are crazy numbers that are impacting these presidential elections. Billion dollars to run for president. Not only to run for president, but you can think about all of the money that is also infecting. Um, our elections at every level of government. So, yes, the presidency and that race takes up a lot of the oxygen in the room, and that's because, of course, the president is an, as, as incredible power and a lot of influence, and that's where, that's where people are really paying attention. But while people are attention, paying attention to all of that money, which is indeed a problem, um, you also have money going into the hands of senators and members of Congress and governors and state legislators. And a lot of that money is coming from a very unrepresentative segment of the American population. It's not, it's not a lot of people that can afford to write um, four or five-figure checks to candidates. And I think it's common sense that a lot of people expect um, something in return when they make that kind of a contribution to a candidate. And our concern is that really undermines the, the very basic principles of our democracy, which is that everyone's voice is supposed to be heard. Everyone is supposed to have equal influence and come to the political table um, as an equal citizen. But when you throw money into the mix, it really, it really gets things out of balance. And we then have a, a government that is more responsive to the desires of of um, the donor class, which, as I said, is not very representative of America as a whole. Right. And then you have uh, Bernie Sanders, who is is getting donations from, you know, just the average Joe, millions of people, I guess, donating. All he has to do is make an announcement and um, he doesn't even have to open up a pack. He just can make an announcement and individual contributions of twenty seven dollars roll in. Is that more what you're thinking should be the standard? Well, let me, let me say this. Um, we, we support policies and solutions that have been working um, at the state level, and that would be um, small donor public financing systems that really empower the voices of average, um, ordinary Americans. So hmm. small donors 
um, are able to contribute to candidates and have those contributions matched with a limited amount of public funds. You know, that's how every president of the United States ran for president from Jimmy Carter all the way up through uh, President George W. Bush. Every single one of those presidents, indeed every single uh, nominee of both the Republican and the Democratic Party ran on public financing. So what happened is you would you would collect um, a number of small dollar donors and those dollars would, as I said, be matched. And then candidates can get back to debating ideas, talking to their constituents and voters, and not just talking to deep pocketed pocketed special interests. When, right. when Ronald Reagan ran for re-election, this is a, a fascinating statistic. When Ronald Reagan uh, ran for re-election back in 1984, take a wild guess at how many fundraisers uh, he attended. Hmm. Uh, in 84, so this is post-Carter, or, or pre, uh, post-Carter, um, yep. I would say 10. He attended three. Oh, my heavens. Three fundraisers, and they were actually all on behalf of the Republican National Committee. In 2012... President Obama in that year alone attended 223. Oh my so heavens! We've seen a complete title title change in how we fund our presidential elections. So what what I do want to get back to, and what I think we've seen the success in Maine and in Connecticut, where average ordinary people are able to run for the state house, Republicans and Democrats, they're able to collect small dollar don- donations, small donations from their friends and neighbors. They can then get a small match. Uh, that lets them run a competitive campaign, and then they're able to get back to discussing issues. That's how 80-plus percent of Maine's legislature has been elected, hmm. um, similar numbers in Connecticut. Um, we're seeing that model begin to shift. In the city of Chicago, voters um, just last year voted on a non-binding ballot resolution saying that's how we want our city council members and our mayors to run. In New York City, that's how it works. In Los Angeles, how, that's how that works. So I think that kind of system is going to bubble up, and eventually we'll see real reform. It's. I'm assuming um, these are the same companies and, and power sources and power people that are donating uh, behind the scenes are the same ones that are the lobbyists running a lot of the legislative agenda. Absolutely, the money is 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 uh, when I, when I talk about the donor class, what I'm talking about are yes, wealthy wealthy interests, but. Um, they they're able to channel their funds not just uh, to political campaigns, but it is also the lobbying. When you have um, companies and industries spending millions of dollars a day lobbying members of conference, Congress, that 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 also really sets our system out of balance because then what you have are you have the staff members who are who are very overworked and understaffed on Capitol Hill reaching out to lobbyists right. to really quickly learn an issue, and, um, and, that, and that really can skew political outcomes, we think. So we also absolutely need to look at closing the revolving door, making sure that lobbying is open and transparent. But, you know, it's no surprise that a lot of the issues that move through Capitol Hill, right now not a lot is moving, but the issues <laughs> that tend to move like butter are those that, um, that benefit um, the the donor class in this country. Well, and when a lobbyist is is helping Senate staffers, they're really, in many ways, from other guests we've talked to, they're basically writing the legislation and handing it to the staffers, and and, and they become the support staff for the staffers. That's that's right. And now there 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 are issues there. Of course, 
one of the reasons is actually because we, our, our members of, of Congress have the, the, their own budget has been cut, so they're not right. able to hire um, kind of non non ideologically driven uh, uh, staff members who can provide advice that that is they don't have they don't necessarily have the resources themselves. Yeah. To, that all these issues. And to be clear, Common Cause is a lobbying organization. There are a lot of public interest lobbyists, too, but the resources of private interest um, gra- you know, greatly outweigh that hmm. of those of private interest. And that's why you know, we work every day to make sure that citizens can get their voices in. They can call their members of Congress. They can meet with them back at home. They can, they can send letters and, and really and, and make it clear that um, they, too, Need to be need to be listened to is um, then there was a court case. It seems like that that maybe tipped this uh, tipped this I guess too far, uh, you know, out of the the realm of possibly having a more kind of small donor public finance world. Where was it? Was it Citizens United? Is that where this really started getting sideways? Well, Citizens United. Um, really, really took our system and um, empowered, again, corporations and other special interests to spend unlimited amounts. Basically, what the decision said was that a corporation, um, a nonprofit or for-profit, could spend an unlimited amount of money from their general treasury funds supporting or uh, trying to defeat candidates. So that unleashed hundreds of millions of dollars into our elections. Much of it in secret, because the court assumed in that decision that at least the money that would be spent would be disclosed, so that shareholders could decide whether the companies to, of which they are part owners of are spending money wisely, so that voters would know if elected officials are, you know, quote, in the pocket of so-called moneyed interests, end quote. That's what the court said. And um, unfortunately, we don't have that system of disclosure set up. So the court was a bit naive there, mm. and we have not acted. Uh, to update our disclosure laws. There was a bill called the Disclose Act that passed the House in 2010. It was filibustered in the Senate. It actually had uh, supermajority support. It had 59% of the Senate voted for it. But um, because of the way that the rules have been rigged in the Senate, it actually takes 60 votes uh, if, if anyone demands it. And so that bill failed, and we still are dealing with the consequences. Of course, there's lots of other actors that could pass common sense rules to disclose some of this some of this new money. But I do want to be clear that there's nothing in Citizens United that prohibits um, these kind of small donor public financing systems Mm. that I'm referring to. In fact, those have been routinely upheld, as have disclosure laws. So we know that there are plenty of solutions that we can still work on, although we do need to eventually address Citizens United directly. Well, and even just a few years ago, um, it seemed like this is almost a game of, you know, um, cat and mouse where – one candidate might say, I'm, I'm going to go for public funding, but another candidate's not going to accept public funding and then can just fundraise as much as they want. And then all of a sudden you're kind of forced if you're going dollar for dollar and you want to have an impact to just not accept public funds. Well, that that's a challenge, although what I'll say is when you talk to candidates, and again, Republicans and Democrats that have participated in the system, yes, it can be um, a little daunting dollar for dollar at this point, but um, it's it's not as daunting voter for voter because voters are going to know, you know, is this candidate supporting my interests or is this right. candidate supporting the donor's interests? And many times, donors that don't even live in that district. I mean, you have to ask yourself, um, why would a um, someone who lives in New York City or Los Angeles 
fund a Senate race in Nebraska or in your home state of Utah. Right, right. Um, they don't get to vote in that election. They don't have a they don't have a right to vote for that candidate. So what are they expecting in return mm-hmm. for that kind of um, money? Money that can um, outweigh and um, really really uh, flood flood a district in which they don't even live. And it's probably because they want something in return in the yeah, form of absolutely. And, and you see this in today's election. You hear uh, everybody's pushing against uh, Hillary Clinton because of her Wall Street connections. And so is she being bought off by Wall Street and Trump's self-funding. So he obviously has our best interest at heart. And so they're, they're all they're all talking about it to some degree. Um, let's do this, Stephen. Let's take a break. Come back. I want you to talk to us about your um, – your your kind of your resolution your your solution of uh, that's discussed in that article fighting big money empowering people you've put together a plan uh, of goal and a process for how we can um, how we can push this and and get back to where the people have access uh, greater access even than just or at least the same access than just the wealthy the um, those that have money the resources the businesses. Stick with us, folks. Interesting, interesting insight into maybe some of the complexity you see going on and chaos and almost irrational, you know, maneuvers going on in our political system. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, uh, hoping to help you see the world better. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, today on the phone with us is Stephen Spaulding, legal director and senior uh, policy uh, leader at Common Cause, where he works to reduce the undue influence of money in politics, expand access to democracy, and uphold ethical standards in government. Uh, Stephen, welcome back to the show. Huge issue. I really, I, I believe it. I can see the data. And you, you're not fighting the fight alone. There are other organizations. I guess you're, you're a member. You're the Common Cause is a member of a group of uh, a collective of thirteen other groups, and you've put together some solutions. What, what are some of the things we can do? Well, that's right. You know, we did work with a number of organizations, and we are working to kind of insert this into the. Uh, elections at at every level, which, which, as you mentioned, is called our Fighting Big Money and Empowering People 21st Century Democracy Agenda. And there's really five principles in this document, uh, which we think every candidate should embrace. One, we need a democracy where everyone participates, where everyone's voice is heard, where everyone knows who is trying to influence our views and our representatives. We really need a democracy where everyone plays by fair and common sense rules and finally, where everyone is held accountable. And I'll quickly kind of go through the yeah, policies please. that will further these. So one, where everyone participates. That is the small donor public financing system that I described earlier, which has been working with great success at the municipal level in New York City and in Maine, where actually a very strong majority of voters went to the polls and uh, voted in an initiative to update and modernize that system back in November. And that kind of a system, again, lets legislators spend less time fundraising from their deep-pocketed donors and more time talking to their neighbors and constituents. There are bills in Congress that would set that up for Congress, too. One is the Government by the People Act. Another is the Empowering Citizens Act and the Fair Elections Now Act in the Senate. 
So on the other policies, you know, where we want everyone's voice to be heard and not just the very wealthy, we need to ensure that we have strong contribution limits in place so that, um, you know, in some states, for example, in Oregon and in Virginia, anybody, including corporations, can give any amount of money to a candidate. We think that system kind of really sets up a system that is on the borderline of authorizing almost legalized bribery in a yeah. way, yeah, oh, yeah. even though we have those laws in place. So we need a system with strong contribution limits so that everybody's voice is heard. Finally, as I was – not finally, but third, as I was saying, where we need everybody to, to know who is trying to influence our views, we need to pass just common sense transparency laws so that you as a voter can follow the money and see who is spending what to influence our campaign since 2010 – been over $500 million uh, that has been spent has come from secret sources. So there are bills in Congress like the Disclose Act that would fill in the gaps after Citizens United. States like Massachusetts and Rhode Island have passed new laws modeled off of that. But there are other places where we can where we can ensure that there's more sunlight in political spending. And that's For a no-brainer, right? Yeah, well, Just... it should be. Yeah, I mean, eight out of the nine justices upheld it. Ninety percent of Americans understand this. But there are powerful interests in this country that would like to continue to spend money in secret, and they fought hard <laughs> to block these kinds of laws. So while Congress might be bottled up right now in gridlock, we do think the Federal Election Commission, you know, has independent authority to update their laws. The Securities and Exchange Commission that oversees our public uh, public public companies could require public companies to disclose any political spending to shareholders. The, right. the Federal Communications Commission, which which oversees our you know airwaves, our broadcast airwaves, could require could require disclosure. The President of the United States could sign an executive order requiring government contractors to disclose any spending that they might give to third-party secret money groups and spending money. So we need more disclosure. Well, and everybody um, cries about it, yet nobody's moving. Well, that's right. Um, that's right, and that's why we—that's why we are inserting the solutions. Good. We've heard a lot about problems. We need—we need more um, solutions. We need to change the way that the Supreme Court thinks about um, money in politics. It's basically said the only guiding principle that allows campaign finance laws is—is is to curb corruption. And while that is an important interest, I think there's another interest in this country, which is kind of political equality, as I was saying, where it's one person, one vote, not one dollar, one vote. And so we need to ensure that. You know, maybe leveling the playing field is something that the court could look at again as a possible principle to uphold these laws so that everybody has equal voice. And then finally, mm -hmm. what we really need are our agencies to do their job. The Federal Election Commission has been mired in partisan gridlock and hasn't really been able to to move things um, and hold hold violators accountable. So we really might need to look at really restructuring the Federal Election Commission. So that's the plan. We're asking candidates to support this plan. Common Cause is a nonpartisan organization. We don't endorse candidates, but we do put these ideas out there, and we hope that candidates will take them and run with them because they've had real success at the state and local level and in past, uh, past years at the federal level, too. Well, it seems as uh, we listen, we hear Trump's support uh, from people that feel like their voices aren't being heard. We hear it uh, maybe as part of a major part of Bernie Sanders' success. Um, people aren't being heard. They, they don't have their they don't have their voice being listened to. So it also, I guess, some of that is maybe they're just the Congress, Senate, presidents are they're they're deaf uh, in a way, and and maybe some of that is just they're being impeded by the money. Well, absolutely, and we really need to we really need to now be shifting the conversation to talk about the solutions that empower voices and bring more balance in. I mean, I do think it's interesting that it's been a theme. I think um, 
it's two sides of, of a coin here between Sanders, who's raising money from small dollar donors, and Donald Trump, who's saying, you know, he he isn't raising money from special interests. But but I, I think if you took that to a to an extreme, um, people need money to run for office in this country. Right. And I think if we only had self-funded billionaires running for office, um, <laughs> you have to ask yourself whether the public interest is represented there, because right. it's not necessarily anyone's fault for getting into politics that they themselves you know, don't don't have billions of dollars in their bank account. We need to come up with a system that allows people to run for office, which is what our democracy is, is based on, not just those who happen to be happen to be wealthy. So that's why these solutions it we can't just say, you know, get out get getting money out of politics is getting big money out of politics is a worthy goal. It certainly, you know, fits on a bumper sticker. But what we really need to do are we money is going to be in the system. Yeah. So we need to figure out where that money is coming from and where that money is, um, where that money is going is uh, didn't the Supreme Court somewhere um, basically agree or position that um, it's free speech? Giving money to a candidate is freedom of speech, so you can't limit their freedom. Well, so there was a decision that started a lot of this. Buckley v. Vallejo, a decision that was decided actually 40 years ago uh, this year, which which tried to make that parallel, which tried to equate giving money to political candidates with speech. Um, we think that that's not free speech. We think that that is paid speech, <laughs> right. and that there can be common sense uh, rules here. Of course, there's a connection between spending money and and speech. It takes money to put up a billboard, right? It takes money to to print campaign literature, but. But that's not the same thing necessarily as saying money is speech. Money is, is property. It's not necessarily words coming out, of, coming out of anyone's mouth. So that really is one of the original kind of sins here that we have to deal with, which is ultimately money is, is going to have a role in the system, but it depends on where it's coming from. No, no amendment is, you know, per se – um, absolute, and even when there may be First Amendment interests here, no one no one assumes that you can crowd, you know, scream fire in a crowded theater, that you can defame people, you know, in right. the newspaper. Those are all places where we found um, some sort of a balance, and where where it's just common sense to people that spending an unlimited amount of money out of your bank account is not the same thing as talking to your neighbors or in the town square about about politics. Right. And, and I love the fact that you bring it up that this is this is the presidential election, but it's also on every level yeah. of, of, of of government nationwide. And, and, and like you're, you're giving us examples of Connecticut and Maine and um, I think even New York. Why, why are it seems like so many of these more liberal kind of minded states? Well, you know, it's interesting because those systems um, this is a bipartisan problem, and it has bipartisan solutions with, with Americans across the country of Republicans and Democrats alike that support these. Um, Maine system was set up by a ballot initiative. So hmm. when, when politicians weren't going to move it, voters did it themselves. That's great. Um, and so, um, you know, there was a very strong system actually in Arizona, a public financing system that had provisions that were um, ultimately um, after Citizens United need to be fixed. But, but there has been success um, in red states too. Arizona, I don't want to forget Arizona. It's just that the system right now, there was a provision of that law, um, a technical issue with that law after 
Citus after another decision called McComish, which requires Arizona to go back and update their law. But it has been successful there, too. And at the presidential level, as I said, um, Ronald Reagan, um, President George Bush, President George Bush II, they all ran on it. And it was George W. Bush who signed McCain-Feingold, and it was Senator John McCain, um, the Republican standard bearer in 2008. This was one of his signature achievements. Mm. Was, was a campaign finance law. So this is a very recent phenomenon that um, money in politics is seen by some as a partisan issue. McCain-Feingold was signed, again, by President George W. Bush, a bill that was bipartisan, that was John McCain's bill. This has a long history of Republican uh, support, and eventually I think people are going to pay attention to where voters are. And Certainly, it's a big part of the presidential race right now. And um, I think if people just start, if, if politicians really start paying attention, they'll know that it's in their self-interest to, to back strong campaign finance and money and politics laws that raise up the voices of average ordinary Americans, too. And, and, and it has 85 percent support, That's according right. to the CBS you know, right. poll. Um, just as we wrap up, and it, maybe that's the answer, is I need to go push a local ballot initiative um, uh, for some type of finance reform. What what does the average citizen do? What should I do? What should our listeners do to to do our part to push this concept just as a voter? Well, first of all, um, folks can find out more about the Fighting Big Money agenda at our website at commoncause.org. And you can, you can look those you – can, you can sign up for our alerts, which we send out all the time, asking people to contact their member of Congress or their state uh, senator or state house rep and ask them to co-sponsor these bills. But, you know, really, really, this is, this is about a grassroots movement. So it's, it's writing letters to the editor about the problem of money in politics. It's bird-dogging members. Um, you know, people that are in elected office, sometimes they love seeing their name in the paper and sometimes they don't <laughs> like seeing their right. name in the paper. But they pay attention. So really it's being a citizen lobbyist and, and finding, finding those uh, elected officials in your hometown and asking them what they're doing and actually presenting them with solutions and saying, you know, here's a, here is you know, a place where this is working. We want you to work on it. But it really, it's really about holding um, power accountable, um, arming yourself with the solutions and then talking to them about how important it is, but also talking to your friends and neighbors and building building a real movement to to get this over the top, as we've done many times before. Oh, love it. I mean, really, and, and be active, be involved, know what your candidates will know their position on this and the actions they are taking. Stephen Spaulding, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate that. Great insight for all of us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You bet. Commoncause.org, that's the organization. Go check out their website and, and read. Uh, read more about what they're trying to do with fighting big money, empowering people. Folks, it's ours. It's This is our country. This is our voice that needs to be heard. And uh, I'm not sure that pushing a lot of money into anything has ever really made it better, let alone our democracy, right? Stick with us. We'll take a break. Come back, uh, helping you lead a healthier life and hopefully a happier democracy, a healthier democracy as well. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, by the way, happy Yo-Yo Day. Speaking of Trump, 
Yo-Yo Day um, is celebrated annually on the 6th of June. It is no coincidence that this corresponds with the birthday of the famous entrepreneur Donald Duncan. Duncan Yo-Yo. Those are the days, guys. All the uh, BYU students around here look at me like, wow, he's old. You were alive for that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yo-yos have been around uh, 2,000 years. Did you know that? So did they, like, have telephones when you were born? Yeah. Really? Well, every neighborhood, every neighborhood had one. Well, so how did they work? Did you have to, like, crank them or? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Not really. Just, it was either that or the Pony Express. Carrier pigeons. You punk. Uh, yo-yos have been around for 2,000 years. Couldn't you just imagine just these people back in the day with some yo-yo contest? Everyone's gathering around. Look at him in some town square. Mm. Pretty cool. Yo-yo appears to stem from the Philippines. And the earliest entry of the word appears in Filipino dictionary in early 1860s. There you go. By the way, also D-Day, the Norman, Normandy landings, codenamed Operation Neptune, were the landing operations on Tuesday, 6th of June, 1944, termed D-Day of the Allied invasion of Normandy in Operation Overlord during World War II, the largest seaborne invasion in history. Man, thousands and thousands of Americans died. Crazy. Um, and again, a day we need to be celebrating, right? It's cool. Uh so we we truly do appreciate our those uh those valiant and uh, strong people that were willing to rush Normandy are you kidding and die on the shores of Normandy we appreciate you um we got to tell this story it's just it's you know what i'm not going to tell it we'll tell it next hour it's it's a sad not sad it's a pathetic we, problem we need some time to fully we got to get into it. Express the, the story. But it's a boy and a laser pointer and a police helicopter. And a PlayStation. And a father. And what are you supposed to do? A lot of tears. To discipline your boy. Because you take away the video games and they're going to grab the laser pointer. We'll talk about it. We'll get into it next hour, folks. Next hour also, we are going to be talking about how you might want to use a little music to sing your fears away. Pretty cool little uh, little psychology treatment for you. Stick with us. We're going to be learning about music, and the and a music app can help with your OCD and other disorders. Interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Plus, we'll be talking about laser pointers and disciplining your children. Up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number two of the show. So if you if you didn't hear the first hour, you got to go listen to it on iTunes, on TuneIn. Go download the BYU Radio app. I'm telling you. Tons of information. The goal of the show is to give you the information you need to grow healthier, happier lives, healthier relationships, 
Today, we're even going to tell you how to calm down some of the nerves, how to lose a little bit of your obsessiveness if you've got a little OCD, which uh, our board operator definitely doesn't have. Um, Sorry, Ben. But if you happen to have any of that going on or any other disorder... Wait, what's that supposed to mean? Ah, nothing. Oh, okay. Just look it up. It's. uh, We'll talk about it later in our meeting. We've got... Stephen Hayes is going to join us. He's going to talk about an app that will help you kind of take your mind off of things you obsess about. Music. Music is a great distraction. I find myself not even able to finish a song. I have so many good songs on my uh, iTunes list that I never finish the song I'm listening to because I'm always excited for the next one. Hmm. I'm going to ask Stephen about that. I could be an obsessive... Compulsive, yeah. oh, totally, absolutely. I've got that. Um, we'll be getting to that. Also, uh, we will definitely get into the story of the laser pointer and the police helicopter. We'll be talking about that in just a few moments. But first, Caitlin Thomas, our royalty from BYU uh, Broadcasting, she's here today to um, talk to us about the news headlines. What's up, Caitlin? Well, Matt, a tropical depression forming in the southern Gulf of Mexico is expected to strengthen into a cyclone at some point in the next 24 hours and make landfall on northwestern Florida's coast Monday evening. With it, potential tropical storm colon will bring the possibility of heavy rains, tornadoes, and strong winds. Novak Jovorik has won the French Open meeting out Andy Murray for the title and becoming the first man since 1969 to win four straight Grand Slams. Djokovic, also the world's number one player by a significant gap, became only the eighth man in tennis history to complete a career Grand Slam. He is now the third man ever to hold all four of the major singles titles simultaneously. Hillary Clinton handedly won the Democratic Party in Puerto Rico on Sunday, moving her within 30 delegates of clinching the party's presidential nomination. With the victory in Tuesday's upcoming California primary, Clinton could lock up the necessary amount of delegates to gain the Democratic nomination and face Donald Trump in the general election. On Monday, the U.S. Navy ordered all 18,600 sailors stationed in Japan to remain on base and refrain from drinking alcohol following an alleged drunk driving incident on Saturday. That incident, in which Okinawa police say U.S. Petty Officer 2nd Class Amy Mejia hit two cars and injured two people while driving on the wrong side of the road, is the latest in a string of events that have strained relations between the U.S. military and Japanese communities. It occurred during a 30-day period of mourning the Navy was observing in Okinawa after a civilian contractor was charged with killing a 20-year-old Japanese woman and dumping her body on the side of the road. Ooh. And last but not least, yes, Matt, ma'am. Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg is just like us. What? At least when it comes to using the same password for logging in on multiple sites. On Monday morning, Zuckerberg's Twitter and Pinterest accounts were broken into after a hacker allegedly found his information from the LinkedIn data breach back in May that revealed 117 million user passwords. According to the hacker, Zuckerberg's LinkedIn password was also the key that unlocked a couple of his other accounts. He's just like us. Mark Zuckerberg got hacked. I bet his password was Mark Zuckerberg. Or... One. Fake creator of Facebook, Facebook inventor. Facebook czar. Or Zucky McZuckface. Ooh. That's really weird. Doubt it. Yeah. That sounds bad. <laughs> sounds, yeah. Anyway. Marky McMarkface. That's better. Yeah. That's a lot better. Marky Mc. <laughs> well, that's, uh, boy, that's good news. Good. So he's just like us. Well, good news. He got hacked. That's I great know. news. Well, I mean, the rest of us get hacked all the time. I, yeah. Except for Hillary. Hillary's never been hacked. Hillary is a hack. (laughs) That'll be the next story. Donald Trump. 
Hey, um, thanks, Caitlin. And again, we're proud of your uh, royal duties. Um, Caitlin is was royalty for the city of Lehigh. She was yeah. the queen, queen of Lehigh. Thank you. And Just she, gave my crown up on Saturday. Which is sad because you were telling us how you drive around with your crown on, and when you do, you never get tickets. That was one time, Matt. I was on my way to an event, and yes, I may have been speeding, so I got pulled yeah, over. Yeah, the event but was church. He was a Le- And you wear your crown to church. He was a Lehigh City cop. We talked for a little bit. We talked about the dangers of speeding, and then he let me go. I don't have any previous tickets on my record, so that's amazing. It was a warning. I hardly have. I get I get two tickets a a year. Good. Well, that's great. And I've tried a crown thing. Didn't work. No. I've tried no. everything. It just doesn't do the same thing for men. Did like, you have a sash with your crown? Cause I did. You don't have a title with the crown. It doesn't really. That's count. all I was had. I I took my shirt off, had my sash on, and, and the guy looked at me work. like, "Okay, we're gonna have to double the fine." Yeah. Because you were in a construction it's zone. Disgusting. I get. Uh, I really do. I get two tickets a year, and I don't think it's fair. I don't think I could afford to insure you. I'm hardly speeding. Anyway. The benefits of royalty. Thank you, Caitlin. Well done. Well done. This um, we've got to get to the story. I've been promising it forever. Okay, so let's say you're bored and 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 listen, folks, because your kids are out of school now. Summer. This is going to happen to a lot of you if you're not careful. A bored schoolboy, dazzled by a police helicopter pilot. Uh, you know, he's just looking out the window. There's the there's the helicopter. Didn't know it was a police helicopter, by the way. So he decides to shine his five dollar laser pen into the cockpit. The helicopter just keeps, you know, it stays still, but it's focusing on him. And then the helicopter pilot has tools on board to discern where the laser's coming from. By the way, incredible Flash Gordon laser you've got there, Ben. The guy, the boy, ended up being arrested just a few minutes later because they pinpointed where he was where he was shooting the laser from. And the police say that it happens all the time when the boy is not allowed to play on his PlayStation. He grabs a laser pointer and starts aiming it at helicopters. But only when it's a PlayStation. Yeah. Yeah. What? What? I didn't. These were his words. He told the police, I thought it was a normal helicopter or an air ambulance or something like that. Not a – I didn't know it was a police helicopter. Of course I wouldn't have been shining my laser pointer on a police helicopter. Yeah, busted. The teenager pleaded guilty to acting recklessly in a manner likely to endanger an aircraft or person inside and was handed a six-month youth referral order including 15 hours reparation as well as attendance in a thinking course. Now, I need you, Terry, to go look up thinking courses. Where was this at? This the was story? in England, in London. We have been looking for a thinking course for one of our team mm. for a very, very, very long time. For Kaylee? No, wow. not for Kaylee. We, we, Ka- didn't, Caitlin? we didn't name not names. Caitlin, no. Liana? Nope. Mm-mm. David? No. No. Mike's gone. Mike's gone. Yeah, not him. Liz is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terry? Nope, no. Nope. Just another team oh, member. Oh, it's, it's probably you. No. It's a thinking course. So this this boy now gets to go to a thinking course and think about things. It's How many times has your parents said, okay, I want you to think about this? Okay. Usually my parents just tell me I'm going to summer camp, and then I get there, and 
It's a thinking course. And let's be real. It's not even a camp, is it, Ben? Nope. It's a work release prison. Yeah. 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 Well, I've actually never been to summer camp, so I can't tell you the Most difference, people just but... call it highway cleanup, but <laughs> you can dress that up however you wish. But they, he does get a really cool orange jumpsuit. It's the camp uniform. Yeah. Yeah. With with he that's why they gave you the nickname Doc, right? Doc, Department of Corrections. Uh, no, well, I got the nickname for different reasons actually, but um, it okay. stuck. Yeah. A thinking course. A thinking course. Like how to think. Hmm. Just think, Timmy. We want you to go think about what could happen, Timmy, when you um. What could happen when you? Shoot your laser at a police helicopter. Timmy, think about it. I don't know. Maybe his maybe his blade will fly off. No, Timmy. Think. Keep thinking, Timmy. I don't know. Maybe maybe his eyes will burn out and melt. Yeah, maybe, Timmy. That'd be cool. What would happen, Timmy, if the pilot's eyes melt and just flow out of his skull? I don't know. Maybe he'd maybe he'd drown. Okay, Timmy. It's going to be a long summer. This is why some kids just need their video games. Just let them play video games. Timmy's yeah, safer. Because at least you know where he is. You know where he is. And you know, you know, that way his non-thinking is working for you. You know, no one needs to die. Hey, George Foreman, uh, Muhammad Ali passed away, as you know. And George Foreman, who, who really took a beating from Muhammad Ali, had made some comments that we wanted to, uh, to talk about. George Foreman on taking a punch... From Muhammad Ali. It was really strange. I thought I'd knock him out in one or two rounds, but about the third round, I'd hit him and he fell on me. I thought, that's it. And he started screaming, that all you got, George? Show me something. And I knew then I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's so true. George Foreman uh, fought Muhammad Ali in the, what's it called? Do you remember? Rumble in the Jungle. The Rumble in the Jungle. And George Foreman, let's just say, took a beating. George Foreman on Muhammad Ali being a great man. The greatest man I ever met. To say he was the greatest boxer is, is a put down. Mm-hmm. He was bigger than boxing. He was bigger than anything. The, I mean, if you are a movie star and you went out to see Muhammad Ali, you become a better movie star, a better lawyer, mm-hmm. a better doctor. He was truly the greatest. The greatest man. That's pretty cool. Not just a boxer, not just kind of a just a you know a, f- a public figure. He's just the greatest man, and that's coming from George Foreman, who not only owns an incredible grill. Well, he used to. Did he give up the grill? Oh, he sold it. Oh, did he? Yeah, somebody else owns the actual rights to it. He's the main <laughs> pitch man. He made great money on that. He sold his name, but he was also a pastor, right? And then he had George Foreman one and George Foreman two children. Didn't he name his kids Four, all George? Four, five, six. Yeah. Yes. I mean, not a good idea, but uh, George Foreman on Muhammad Ali as a fighter. I got into the ring with him. He was, didn't have the best power, the best anything, but his presence. Mm-hmm. You got in the ring with him and you knew this is something different and you couldn't beat it. You know, you may well forget hitting him in his face. He was not going to let you do it. He said, you know, I came in here pretty. I'm going to leave out pretty. <laughs> and the sad thing about it. 
He was. He pretty. was. He was pretty. He really That's what was. it was. No one could deal with him. And the the greatest, the, his greatest power was his presence. Yeah. And I wish everyone would have gotten a chance to meet him just yeah. to know what I'm talking about. I- mm. Um, his last fight was in 1981, we looked up and found out, which is crazy because, Ben, how old were you in 1981, Ben? I was negative 13. <laughs> Whoa. not crazy? So here this man dies, and everyone talks about how he is seriously one of the greatest legends of all time, and nobody – he hasn't even boxed for 35 years. It's amazing. It's, it's kind of sad because you lose a legend like that and uh, – would nobody even knows the real story. So parents, you need to hand these stories down. Tell your kids what you remember. We were watching the Rumble in the Jungle highlights on on YouTube. Yeah, you can amazing. Watch the rope a dope. Uh huh. As all he's bouncing off the ropes, and Foreman's just going to town. But uh, Foreman the dope, I guess. Apparently. And, <laughs> but again, and I think some of that was spin. I don't know. It seemed weird to go eight rounds mm-hmm. dancing and. Getting hit in the gut. Yeah, you. It looked like Foreman was overpowering Ali, and then at the end, Ali's like, "Yeah, I meant to do that." Yeah, I think Ali. So. Yeah, but he racked him. It was pretty amazing. Uh, Ropa dope, and he did that. You know, more what he was known for too was just his uh, his conversion to his well, conversion right. to to Islam, uh, Islam and uh, from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali, and just uh, his protest of the Vietnam yeah. War. He refused to. Uh, I guess go into the draft, yeah. And his 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 comments on that were the the nation wasn't fighting for him, so why should he fight for the nation? Oh, it's as he was still considered a second class citizen at that yeah. time. Amazing. Beat Joe Frazier as well. Amazing. So, you know, a legend, another legend. It's it's sad. And then again, uh, his his work. Um, on Parkinson's as well, mm-hmm. and just bringing attention to that. So, loss of a great legend, and you know that's part of life, isn't it? This is what we deal with. But parents teach your kids why he was such a legend. Grandparents, make sure you talk to your grandkids. A, teach them don't point laser pointers, and B, teach them to understand what being a great man is like. Powerful stuff. We'll take a break. Also, get them to listen to the Matt Townsend show. That couldn't hurt either. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back, coming back, talking about how music might be able to create a little therapy for you. Stick down. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, of the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever had a strange or a wild idea that you had to force out of your mind? Oh, just like get rid of that thought, right? For those who suffer from OCD, pushing out intrusive thoughts can be overwhelming, uh, but turning your worries into a catchy tune might be a solution for those who suffer from intrusive thoughts. And here to discuss intrusive thoughts with us and the power of songifying is uh, Dr. Stephen Hayes. And uh, Dr. Hayes is a professor of behavioral analysis at University of Nevada, Reno. He's the author of 38 or more books and uh, is also the developer of the relation frame theory. We'll talk to him about as much of this as we can. Dr. Stephen Hayes, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm happy to be here. Great to have you. What uh, you talk about um, 
songs and singing and music as a means to helping to, I guess, get rid of, to to destroy or re-script uh, intrusive thoughts. What what do you mean by intrusive thoughts? Well, it's the kind of things that we normally struggle with that we try to push out of mind. And I don't think you really can get rid of them or destroy them, but you can see them in flight. And the the power that they have over you is they sort of pull you into that cognitive network, that set of associations and relationships that you've learned. And once you're in there, you're kind of uh, have less power over where your mind is going to go. If you can back up and watch that it's taking you there, then you have some choices about where you're going to put your attention and what you're going to do in your life. And so that's really the pivot point. If huh. you, uh, once, once, you're, once you've got your, uh, your, uh, you're locked into a battle with your thoughts, you're pretty much uh, already at their mercy. And we're trying to catch people the few milliseconds before that happens and get some choice into the situation. Is you call it the cognitive network? I guess so. Once you kind of get in the the, what is it? Are you like in? The, you're already like on the slide, then the slide's going to naturally follow the network right to the pool of emotion that'll sure. just take and over. For people listening, if I said Mary had a little, you know, there's just no way that Lamb's not going to show up. It, that's innocent in that case, but suppose it's uh, deep down I'm not a good person or uh, I'm not lovable or uh, you know I'm going to contamin- contaminate my children. or and, and when you run from these thoughts and try to do something to get rid of them, actually you're elaborating that network. We've shown in our research that the places that you go when you try to run eventually remind you of the, pl- the things that you're running from. Hmm. So if, for example, you tried to think of something to distract yourself from a a random uh, thought that may have occurred to you that frightened you in some way, the way that you went to distract yourself now within just a matter of minutes will remind you of where you came from. So that's some of what you see in OCD. Hmm. Almost almost everybody has odd thoughts. Like if you're driving on a bridge, what what would it be like to uh, turn the wheel and fly off into the space? The difference is that people who develop uh, OCD, et cetera, are the ones who struggle with them most, not the ones who have the odd thoughts. We all have them. Hmm. So it's, um, yeah, I guess really what a lot of this is, is this is just our patterning of thinking and our way of thinking, and I guess trying to correct ourselves. I mean, it's an interesting point because when someone's, for example, trying to break a habit, um, if they if they think too much about trying to not have that feeling you're saying they might end up actually ingraining it deeper. Well, we've all lived through that when with uh, a diet, haven't we? Yeah. I mean, don't think about that donut that's <laughs> in the uh, back of the refrigerator, and pretty soon you find yourself, uh, you know, digging to the back of the refrigerator. And, you know, habits are better built by this kind of patterns of action that become automatic. And that's some of what happens in our minds when, when we're constantly feeding them with this struggle message. So when, if you're going to break out of the struggle with your thoughts, you need to develop a habit of sort of openness, curiosity, and then having the flexible attention to be able to focus towards your values and behavior and linking your behavior to your values. So we try to catch that moment where our thoughts sort of overwhelm us or dominate us. We call it cognitive fusion where you disappear into that cognitive network. Almost like daydreaming. I mean, if you uh, are driving down the street, you may 
daydream and suddenly realize you've gone miles without being aware of what's going on. You're off in your mind. Well, in some ways, we can do that for months and years on end as we fall into the daydream of I'm a bad person or, uh, you know, no one will ever want to be with me or there's something deep down there's something wrong with me. or And these are the kind of things that visited us all, but what we do with them determines whether or not they're going to really create a problem for us. So when you work with clients, your I guess your goal is to help to get them in this state of cognitive uh, in that state of I guess cognitive fusion, right? Where they're uh, they're able to look what at. What we're it. trying to get them to is what we call cognitive defusion. Defusion. Essentially, what what we try to do is slow the mind down and to notice where it takes you, with a sense of curiosity and openness and self kindness or compassion. After all, your thoughts are sort of have a mind of their own, and sometimes people get uh, with difficult thoughts almost this kind of scrupulous uh, perspective that. If you think a thought, you've done something bad, and actually, that's that's bad theology in every one of the major religions. If you will a thought, you can do something bad. But if you merely think a thought, that that's something that just happens to us all. Right. So, if you catch that moment before that sort of act of choice to to follow the thought out happens, and so some of the things that we do, well, we might start out with just an open kind of awareness process, like imagining that as you look at the cars going by on the freeway, if you were sitting uh, sitting uh, and watching them go by, that with each thought, put it on one of the cars and just let it go by. Hmm. And just practice allowing thoughts to come and go without grabbing them, holding them, pushing them, trying to race them, change them, but just noticing them in kind of an open sense. When and and people have, have that, they, we have the ability to do that. Say it again? We have the ability to do that. We have the ability to do that, and in fact, all of our contemplative traditions or contemplative prayer traditions, things of that kind, teach us, I think, to keep our focus, and then when other things come up, to to allow them to simply go by and bring our focus back to what we're doing. And that, that mixture of being open to the distractions that go by, because if you grab it and focus on it, well, now you've lost your focus. Mm. And then coming back to what you choose to focus on, that sort of one-two punch of openness and then redirecting attention, or in all of our contemplative traditions, meditation traditions, and so forth. And so that's one place we start. But when we've done that, then we may actually play around with some of the things that we've developed in the laboratory, hundreds of methods, but I'll give you a few examples. One that was developed at the turn of the century by a guy named Titchener, father of American psychology, really, and we were the first to ever use it clinically, which is just, if you have a difficult thought that's really sticky, distill it down to a single word and say it out loud fast for about 30 seconds. So if you have a thought that you're a loser, let's say, distill it down to loser, say loser out loud fast for about 30 seconds. And by the end of that 30 seconds, there's a sense of disconnection from the thought. The thought begins to lose its meaning, and the... the uh, upset that it produces goes down, the sense of believability in it goes down. Hmm. And the next time that thought occurs, I'm a loser, you'll have just a little bit of a fragment of loser, 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 to meaninglessness, and it'll give you a choice as to whether or not you then run out after it or fight with it. No, I'm not a loser. And next thing you know, you're in the middle of this well-worn battle that you know is going to end up with you disappearing into it and, and in a sense losing 
in the effort to win. Mm. Instead, better not to fight at all. Just allow that thought to come and go and redirect your attention towards what you care about. Does it get and it gets better every time you do that? It just it has less hold on you. Well, we've we've actually shown that yeah in controlled research that this kind of word repetition allows people then to over time, not just in the moment when you're doing it, have more sense of openness and choice about these difficult thoughts that emerge. And the one that you mentioned in the intro, the song of five, especially with adolescents and so forth, we, we like doing things. After we get into the spirit of it, you usually start with things like this, this thought observation, uh, this kind of open, almost meditative thing, and then things like word repetition. But eventually, the more humorous ones will come up, or we'll actually do things like create depression rap songs, or uh, you know, put uh, uh, um, thoughts to the voice of your least favored politician, or perhaps Donald Duck. Perhaps Donald Duck could be the one to tell you you're a loser. Interesting, yeah, because it changes the whole thing if it's Donald Duck, you know, a lispy duck talking to you. Well, exactly, since. If you have this kind of associative process, or if I say Mary had a little, you're going to have that thought. When Mm -hmm. you have well-worn thoughts, they occur repeatedly, and they're so grooved in our brain, and there's no delete button in the brain. There's no subtraction. It's all addition and multiplication. And so instead of trying to find the magic eraser and the delete button, if you change the context by, for example, saying them in a funny voice, it changes their impact. And then the next time they occur, not in a funny voice, you have a little bit of remember, remembrance of that funny voice version of it, and it gives you a bit of a choice. Wow. The thought, impact of thoughts on you is not automatic. You can change that, but you need to change them in ways that are more clever than we're normally used to, which is simply to try to argue ourselves out of it or distract our, ourselves away from it, which sometimes only amplifies the network and amplifies their impact. Yeah, it is powerful to think how how much they just if you don't think about it like you're saying if you don't get into that kind of uh early on openness and, and where you're actually able to look at your thinking then you're just i guess riding down the river you're just going with the flow and that flow seems to lead you to the same you know pain no exactly and it's it's well worn well grooved you know where yeah. you're going safe and, and that uh, attitude of initial kind of openness and so forth allows you to bring in the, this uh, uh, more flexible way of interacting with your thoughts that we call uh, diffusion. Once you're there, you don't want to do that as an end in itself. I mean, we don't want to simply back up from our thoughts. Some of our thoughts are useful. Mm-hmm. But w- once you're there, you can make some choices about the ones that are worth attending to, and we get into more directing your attention on purpose And in the work that I do in psychotherapy, acceptance and commitment therapy is the name of the work that we do or ACT. If you Google it, you can find many, many books on acceptance and commitment therapy if people are interested in trying to apply these methods. The one I wrote that's most popular, Get Out of Mind, Into Your Life, but there's several uh, others out there by other authors. Hmm. And what we then do is we direct the attention towards meaning and purpose, because it turns out that if you're more open and flexible with your thoughts, you can bring choice in there and begin to focus on the qualities of being and doing that you really want to manifest in your life. And uh, that's worth linking your behavior to, not these kind of automatic uh, uh, 
Mary had a little kind of yeah it. reactivity. It, yeah, to be an active being instead of just a you know reactive being. Let's um, let's take a break and continue the discussion. We're speaking with Dr. Stephen Hayes. He is a, a, the foundation professor of behavioral analysis at the University of Nevada Reno and the author of many books um, that are uh, so valuable in this area of acceptance and commitment therapy. He's helping us reevaluate our thinking and our brains. Stick with us, folks. Go to, uh, by the way, his website, stephenchays.com. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. back everybody i was just thinking about how many times you've had a thought that you can't get rid of and one that you really want to like oh quit thinking you're so you're gonna blow it you're gonna blow this oh you've got a big talk to give and you're gonna just uh. how do you break through and uh and, and move on really to a healthier space where you can actually start to think about succeeding at, uh, at at public speaking or succeeding at something instead of just always being afraid of blowing it. Well, Dr. Stephen Hayes is joining us. He is the foundational or the foundation professor of behavioral analysis at the University of Nevada, Reno. He has authored more than 38 books and is the developer of the relation frame theory and acceptance and commitment therapy, and um, which is uh, a tool that he uses to help as we go through um, this process of kind of rescripting our brain, and he's uh, he's a great resource. We appreciate you here, Dr. Stephen Hayes. Thanks for being with us. It's fun to be with you. Talk about um, th- there really is. It seems like what you've been describing is there's a there's almost a pre subconscious thought or or something that gets us starting to f- to create a thought, and you want us to see if we could get into that pre thought moment. Yeah, to open up to essentially what you're catching is you're catching the echoes of your history. I mean, you can sometimes find these critical thoughts are linked to particular memories or feelings of things that you've had. Uh, You mentioned people uh, giving talks. Part of my interest in this, where acceptance and commitment therapy came from, was my own panic disorder. And giving uh, talks and stuff 35 years ago was just a horror, Mm. which was important for me as as a professor. And so I'd rehearse it, and I'd be thinking about it and worrying about it and so forth. If I dug down to it, you know, part of it was wanting to be there and make a contribution. There's actually a positive side to it. Yeah. There's also some echoes of my history that were very painful that were in those moments. I actually gave a TED Talk on that. If people want to Google my name Hmm. and YouTube or something, they can find it. And so when we back up and notice our thoughts... In addition to giving us more flexibility as where we go, sometimes we can have in that moment of more compassion or self-kindness a little bit of a sense of the painful histories that are linked to some of these difficult thoughts, things that have happened to us that we are actually learned from. Because yeah. The flip side of these painful memories and these painful experiences are the kinds of lives we want to live. And a person who's afraid of giving a talk is a person who wants to do something in the talk. A person who's afraid of people is a person who wants to be with people. Well, and wouldn't it make sense to be afraid of giving a talk if you have a horrendous memory of giving one in third grade when you weren't emotionally understanding how to do it? Exactly. 
you remember those moments of ridicule or, or criticism or so forth, but what's on the flip side of that pain is wanting to contribute, to be part of it, yeah. be part of a group, to be liked, to make a difference. And those are not something that we want to close ourselves off from. So part of what is mm, unhealthy about the normal way that we get into a struggle with our thoughts is that we miss the deeper emotional messages that are inside this painful history, which if you flip over, is very close to the values and mm. purposes that we want to bring into our lives. Sure. So, uh, we it, we do it at at the cost of knowing our own history and connecting with our sense of meaning and purpose. And, and by flipping to the positive side, I guess it becomes a motivator for you. It, it could be something that could keep driving you to go back and uh, and tame your thinking. Exactly, and the kind of a, a kinder way, one that's not subtractive or limited or self-critical. Very much as you might if you met yourself as a young child with some of these uh, difficult thoughts and difficult experiences, you know, very likely what you'd be moved to do is something quite kind for the mm. younger part. But yet when we grow up and those things echo in the moment, sometimes we cheer so, so critically and with wagging fingers about how we have to get rid of that, there's something wrong with you, stop that, mm-hmm. which, all of which just amplifies it out and puts an emotional tone into those moments that actually disempower us instead of empowering us to be present with ourselves as whole people and to be able to focus on what we really care about. I've seen that with couples, too, where when somebody has kind of an attachment uh, disorder where they're pulling away because, in a way, you can almost see the five-year-old boy just wanting to be loved, but instead he felt like he was rejected and now he's angry and not wanting to be involved in the relationship. There's an amazing compassion if we can see that in the other as well. Are there ways that we can help somebody's thinking that I'm with? Can I help bring them into this safer space? I think we can by bringing the same attitude of open, non-judgmental uh, curiosity and and this uh, sense of awareness and, and uh, flexibility so that the real core of, of all of this message is being more psychologically flexible, of being able to turn towards some of the things that we've been turning away from but do it in a way that gives us the flexibility to take multiple pathways from it. So if, if you actually listen more deeply, for example, asking uh, someone who's really struggling about this, about a particular thought or something, about their own emotional experience, about, you know, what, a, what does that remind them of? How long has that been going on? Are there other places this shows up? Uh, what could we do when in a couple that were in that space that would be healthy and moving us towards what we really value as a couple. Hmm. We can play this out at the group level. You can do the same thing. In fact, we've taken acceptance and commitment therapy and put it into organizations and businesses and schools, and we find that the very same principles apply at the level of the group and the organization. If you're managing somebody in your work environment and you give them no place to put difficult emotions or thoughts uh, you've actually created disempowered workers who are going to be less effective for you. Which, which is, I guess, I mean, that's the, the, I guess the concept of acceptance theory is if I don't feel accepted, I'm, I'm going to shut down, reject, pull away, disconnect. Exactly. And so psychologically flexible workers who are more open 
and more able to redirect attention towards meaning and purpose, towards values, the values of the business organization, et cetera, are empowered workers. And if, so this acceptance doesn't mean uh, tolerance or resignation. It doesn't mean accepting behavior that's unacceptable. Yeah, it doesn't mean agreement. Starting, it doesn't mean agreement. It means starting where you are with your history, which includes painful moments and difficult thoughts, and to do that with a sense of openness, curiosity, and being able then to start from a, a solid foundation of it's okay to be me and it's okay to start from where I am. Mm. And then let's find what we can do in the world of behavior to really build the kind of lives that we want to live as individuals, as couples, and as in our work environments, and our churches, our schools, etc. Because we do, we we seem to be, and maybe this is part of our human nature, but it's also, I guess, part of our stinking thinking that we've got um, sometimes. Is that I don't, I almost don't want to hear what you're saying because what you did was so wrong. But I can go back and understand and understand and show acceptance and love for their. I mean, I'll probably agree with a lot of their emotional turmoil, or even just not even agree, but I can I can understand it and I can empathize with it. And that doesn't mean the outcome of what they did is right either. Right. Well, but, it, but it opens them up. It isn't, just, it isn't just the disagreement. Sometimes we see in others the weaknesses that we have. And uh. we've noticed that people who sometimes are very critical about certain features of others, these are things that are in the shadows, in, the, in their own uh, psychological closets. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's, there's this... Uh, dumbing down of awareness even of our own uh, histories and, and weaknesses and difficulties and struggles when, when we fail to listen with compassion to the struggles of uh, others. But that doesn't mean that we lose judgment, as you say, about the end product. And so if we're going to empower each other to focus on what's important and get our behavior linked to that, it's better to do that by starting where we are and we're whole human beings uh, with a history but we can carry that forward one step at a time into a direction that will lead us. None of us are finished products, and none of us are about to win a prize for mm-hmm. uh, how great and grand we are. We're, we're a work in progress, and it's, it's more the ability to continuously reorient. And so that these, these techniques of diffusion and acceptance are not ends in themselves. They're so that we can reorient towards uh, values and purpose. Mm. It really, it's profound. And I, I see it with so many in my own life. I see it with myself. And I've always tried to wonder how I, how I, how I slow it down. But what I hear you saying is the number one key is just start noticing the pre-feeling, I guess, the pre-thought that precedes the, the thought. And just start being in that space and being open to looking at it. If I could send... Uh, 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 way with a, uh, an image for how to do that. Yeah, yeah. Some of these things have such a long history, and you you mentioned, uh, you know, sometimes if you can see, you know, that's uh, the person in front of you who's making mistakes or has a five-year-old boy, do that with yourself. I mean, you take some of these difficult thoughts and feelings that go back, have a history. The ones that are really hard for us tend to be old. And put take a little moment to imagine yourself as young as you can go that issue is still there or beginning. And take the critical thought. You know, you're no good. You always screw up. Nobody will ever love you, whatever. 
and take it all the way down to yourself as a child, picture yourself in front of yourself, and have that kid you imagine say that same words in the child's voice. Mm. And my guess is you're not going to want to slap them. You're not right. going to want to you know, shake them. You're not going to want to wag a finger at them. You're probably more like wanting to hug the, the, uh, a kid who's you know, dealing with something that's difficult. Well, then bring that same posture to yourself. You're a whole human being. You know, you belong here. You're, you're a valid human being. And, and then don't stop there. From there, now let's move and reorient towards that point in the distance that we're going to head towards and walk together. Mm. But bring the kid with you. Don't, uh, don't leave him behind. Yeah. Even if, he's, if, if he has some wounds and difficult thoughts. Because the kid will just keep making issues for you anyway. You got yeah, They're going to come along like the kids <laughs> in the back seat of the car on a family vacation, and they're going to keep going, good, bad, and indifferent. Uh, exactly. If we can bring a posture of, uh, of of kindness to it, and catch these early thoughts before we get into the automatic pilot mode, um, then you got some hope. Stephen C. Hayes, thank you so much for your uh, your insight. Great insight. And again, everybody, go look at the website, stephenchayes.com. Continue looking into his books as well. Uh, it's it's we got to get on these thoughts and uh, not do it in a, you know, in a fearful way. Just understanding openness. Look for the little child. We'll take a break. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Because it doesn't come with a handbook, you need some tools, right? Well, we just heard some some wonderful advice about how to rethink your thinking. And there's something inherent and I think essential uh, as all of us. The, what we're assuming then is that we have a choice on our thinking. But what the good doctor Stephen Hayes was just teaching us is you only have a choice if you if you recognize the choice. If you wait too long and allow the thought to just, you know, jump in the sled and start its way down the hill, there's a point that you're not going to turn that around. The speed's going to pick up and uh, the grooves may already be cut for the sled and you're just going to follow the last 500 paths that you've taken. If you want to create the new thought, you have to eventually recognize the stinking thinking. You got to recognize where it's uh, where you're having the thought that maybe you don't want to have. And a key point is don't don't freak out about it. Right? Don't get so caught up like I got to stop. I got to stop it. Oh my heavens! Because I think that very energy, that emotion, is what's going to drive the thought more chemical. Remember, your thoughts bring chemistry. So if I ask you to think of somebody that hurt you or offended you as a child, can you think of somebody? Can you think of somebody that made you feel less than or demeaned or somebody who hurt your feelings in high school or junior high? If you can still remember the thought and have the feelings, it's because thoughts have feelings and chemistry and recipes of chemistry associated with each thought. Those thoughts are stored. They're called scripts. 
And once you once you kind of inject emotion into a thinking pattern, like somebody that is sinning, doing something that they believe they shouldn't be doing or knowing they shouldn't be doing, they might start building every time they do an act, look at something they shouldn't look at. They might then create a reaction like, oh, man, God's going to be mad. I'm so bad. I'm, and they get in and they take all of that emotion and they pile it back onto the thought. And it just keeps compounding the issue, compounding it, digging it deeper, making it deeper, harder to get out of. So at some point, we don't need you to beat yourself up. I I honestly believe if your God, if he were sitting next to you when you committed that mistake or that sin or whatever you want to call it, your God wouldn't just sit there and induce a lot of horrible feelings on you. Your God would just love you, right? And bring some peace to you. (sighs) Not that you're perfect, but that you're loved. And once you could probably feel that feeling that you're loved, then we can go and evaluate the thought. And you might start to recognize that before the thought, there was a a subtle pre-thought feeling. One of the things that we've been taught a lot uh, from some of the professors here at BYU about, for example, pornography addiction, is that two of the biggest drivers of the addiction are anxiety and uh, boredom. So if you have a little anxiety on board, that may create the thought that maybe we ought to go do looking, go start looking at some porn, which then creates feelings, which then drives action. Or boredom. Hey, there's nothing going on here. Maybe I ought to go look at that thing. That, And then off we go. Part of what we want to do is not just add on a ton of negativity and a, ne- a bunch of guilt and pain. What we might want to do is just recognize what is the pre-thought, what are the th- thoughts you have, And then, like our good doctor was telling us, maybe turn it into a song, maybe make it funnier, maybe do something to, you know, get rid of the emotional tension so we don't just gang up and drive these things deeper. Anyway, it's just an idea, right? But it's an idea that can make us better. Know that your thoughts are driven by your echoes of your history. And those echoes aren't going away, but they are yours. You're here on this earth to act and not just be acted upon, even by your history that was misunderstood by a five-year-old boy. It's time to act. Let's start trying. Start making fun of our thoughts a bit. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. A whole other hour coming up next. We're talking parenting, by the way. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. BBC News. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. We, uh, we have got a great show. We've had two hours of show already. So if you're just hearing us or joining us, go look up our other shows on iTunes, on TuneIn, or go download the BYU Radio app for iOS or Android. And uh, then you can go find all of our past shows because there are – we do this so often. 
hours and hours, 10 million hours of shows. I'm not sure the number. I just made that up, but it's I know it's a lot, and I know it's in the tens. Um, today we also are going to be talking with our um, one of our great coaches from Clarity Point Coaching, and uh, she's going to be walking us through, you know, everything we need to know to answer and help our kids see how good they actually have it. Uh, Kim Giles will be joining us. Have you ever had to teach your kids, you know what, quit complaining. You've got a very blessed life. Well, Kim's going to teach us how we go about teaching our children that life isn't fair. It's not fair. You're blessed. It's not fair. Deal with what you've got. You know, I know they were mean. Life's not fair. We somehow have to get that into our kids' heads. And we don't want to do it like a tyrant, right? So Kim will be walking us through that. Plus, holy cow, have I got some news to inform you about with the uh, the research that's being done by the federal government. We'll be talking about three of their studies that, I don't know, they just seem uh, kind of like a waste, just a waste. But first, let's get to the headlines. Caitlin Thomas is joining us. Caitlin, what's going on with the headlines? Well, we got some good ones today, Matt. The conservative lawyer and writer who was Bill Crystal's choice to make an independent bid for the presidency has declined to give it a go. He says, after days of prayer, reflection, and serious study of the possibilities, I am not going to run as an independent candidate for president of the United States. David French, who was the candidate, also said, the best chance for success goes to a person who either is extraordinarily wealthy or is an or is a transformational political talent. It is plain to me that I am not the right person for this effort, so he will not be running. Before he was one of the greatest athletes of all time, Muhammad Ali was Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr., a proud native of Louisville, Kentucky. Ali was born in Louisville on January 17, 1942, and on Sunday, two days after the boxing champion died of septic shock from natural causes at the age of 74, Residents reflected on his life. An interfaith service was held at the River Road Mosque at the Louisville Islamic Center, and attendees were able to write messages to Ali on a paper banner decorated with butterfly and bee stamps. They said that he was not only an ambassador of Islam, he was an ambassador for humanity, and he's beloved by people across the planet, irrespective of their faith or ethnicity. The newly crowned Miss USA is a 26-year-old Army officer from the District of Columbia, Barber is the first ever military member to win Miss USA, and in a press conference following the event, the lieutenant from Northeast D.C. said she plans to take a break from the Army Reserve and had already discussed with superiors the possibility of going inactive for a couple of years should she win the title. She said she currently serves two days per month. Wow. And here's the last story for you, Matt. Uh This one's a little sad. Okay. At least 276 dogs have been rescued from a single 1,180-square-foot home in what one New Jersey official calls, quote, the worst hoarding case that we've ever experienced. Wow. The problem was discovered Thursday by an animal control officer when an animal control officer called about a loose dog and rescuers started removing the pups Friday morning. The dogs, their pugs, chihuahuas, terriers, and more were found living under beds and on bookshelves. And a sheriff's deputy describes a contraption, a contraption quote, like a hamster cage for dogs. <laughs> rescuers equipped with hazmat suits and ventilators used thermal imaging equipment to find dogs living in the house's walls. Oh, boy. The dogs, most of which had never been outside of their house, will Poor be put up for dogs. adoption when they are ready. Oh, that's sad. Speaking of hoarding, remember when well, we talked about that a couple weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, I guess it's good news that they found out, right? They They've, found them. But and they were all alive. Was, they didn't find dogs. any dead dogs, so they were all alive. Well, what are they eating? Well, I don't know, but the they said the house was covered in dog feces and all sorts of stuff. You could smell it from outside the house. Like a frat house. Well, some. I'm not saying that dogs 
and frat houses. Anyway, I don't know what you're saying, but it's uh, it's bad news. Um, I noticed that you did sneak in a royalty, a queen, uh, a Miss Teen, a Miss Queen. What do they call Miss? What are you talking? America contestant. Well, I mean, this was Miss USA, so Miss it's a USA. different organization. But different. She did get crowned last night. Mm-hmm. This is the music we play for Caitlin Thomas, who is royalty. Not anymore. She lost her crown. I, I had to give it up, but she gave up her. But crown. I have another Miss shot. Lehigh. I have another shot, Matt. Miss Utah going is for next Miss week. Utah next week. Bigger and better. And uh, I will, as you asked and pled, I will help you choreograph your dance routine uh, right after the show today. Okay, that's good because we only have a week left. I know. I've got, but you know what? You've really put it off. I have watched a ton of Dancing with the Stars. Oh, okay. So I've got a lot of moves. Okay, I trust you. Got a lot of moves, except my hammies are hurting. (laughs) My hamstrings, I pulled them uh, weeding. You pulled your hamstrings while you were pulling weeds. Yes, I know. You're getting getting old. No, the weeds were huge. Why were the weeds so huge? Uh, Because my wife has not been pulling enough weeds. (laughs) So we decided as a family to have a family. She's got a lot better things to do. So as a family, we had family weeding day. Oh. And which usually ends up with my wife and I weeding and then my kids slowly one by one dropping out. Oh, yeah. That sounds pretty normal. Dad, you guys need water or something? Yes, son. Go get me some water. And then you never see your kid again. He never comes back. Yeah. And then he's like in the bathtub. That's very normal. Totally awkward. But we wish you the best of luck on your uh, royal. And then again, I will. I'll help you. I'll help you get the dance routine. Looking forward to it. Just give me about 10 minutes after the show. Give me, let me get my unitard. <laughs> and your leg warmers. Uh-huh. I'm ready for this. And my headband. Some jazzercise going on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, will you come lay down the beat? It's going to yeah. be a winner. Yeah, I've, I've done years of jazzercise, so I can, I can yeah. help out. Man. <laughs> this is going to be a winning he routine. He put the jazz in jazzercise. <laughs> Caitlin, thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Keep up the good work. We, um, we've got so much to talk about. First of all, let's get to your tax dollars. Why does it matter which candidate you choose? It may not matter at all because in the end, Congress are the ones – they're the ones passing a lot of the uh, financial – the bills, right? So the federal government has been busy allocating hundreds of thousands of dollars for bizarre research projects whose scientific value is less – then immediately obvious. And according to a new report on recent wasteful uh, federal spending, which is to be released this Tuesday by Senator Jeff Flake from Arizona, uh, on that, on that, uh, that uh, document he's going to be releasing, he talked about a bunch of different studies. And I want you to just hear what a few of them are. This is what, where your dollars are going. It, it ain't pretty, folks. It's just not pretty. First of all, the research uh, – there was some research funded by um, the National Institutes of Health where the researchers are giving finches, birds, grape juice laced with liquor. Hmm. Right? So they take them to a piano bar apparently and they, they line the finches up on the piano bar and they're trying to see if – the tweeting birds, once they're tweeting with a little liquor on board, Ooh. if they start slurring their tweets mm. while they're drinking. Okay. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Do, I don't know, Larry, did that sound like a slurred tweet to you? Like, do they think the little tweeting tongue is going to get less tweet out? Hmm. Articulate, you mean? That's interesting. 
in a very uninteresting way. Why would you do this? No Does idea. it say? Does it give a reason? No, no hmm. reason. Mm-mm. Nope. They're they they're just trying to see if intoxicated birds are indeed a bit less organized. I mean, you would think, yeah, if you just keep imbibing, they're going to eventually just fly well, into a glass door. Does does alcohol have the same effect on birds that it does on humans? We don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's the science here. Why do we care? <laughs> See if you push if you push the bird too far, the birds had hiccups. What's yeah. up with that? Anyway, I don't know. Birds could get hiccups. Oh, totally. There, it's the worst. That's study number one. Study number oh. two. This, for some reason, wasn't a very popular one because they could only find one guy to participate. Mm. Um, Just one guy, and I don't know why they didn't limited uh, use grape juice with alcohol in it. Because, limited data set yeah. here. Go ahead. Another study noted in Flake's report included the discovery that they're trying to figure out if it hurts more if a bee stings you on your nose huh. than on your private parts. Hmm. Okay, and um, at least one guy, one guy, he, he was the only person used in the sample. Wow. Just one guy. Poor guy. A million-dollar study to find out if one guy, if it hurts more to have a bee sting you on the nose or mm-hmm. in the private area. Yeah. Mm. Well. Okay. Can I just – I don't know. Let me guess. I'm going to guess private area. You think so? Yeah. But what yeah. if it was the nose? Well, I think I think the very size of the sample tells you what everyone thinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all we'd have to do is find that one guy. Hey, Jimmy will do it. Jimmy, get in here. So he's the Jimmy, only guy. Jimmy, get in here. You're, You're saying love this. you want five bucks? <laughs> he's the only guy they could find. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah. That's dumb. Dumb study. And the final study, $50,000 went to this study. Oh, wow. Which is, by the way, that's not bad. No. Because a million went to the one guy, Jimmy. Right. To find out, ow, that hurts. Not to say, Jimmy, Ouch. I mean, the bees got some of that. Ouch. Right? <laughs> yeah. It stings. It stings. Or at least their family. Some bees, when they sting, they die. So yeah. Maybe the the problem family. is you got to get, that's a lot of bees. You got to get, you got to get two bees right. stings to know. Right. <sighs> Anywho, um, $50,000 has purchased taxpayers the information of whether Democratic women in Congress mm. have less typically feminine features than their Republican <laughs> counterparts. So why did this cost $50,000? I have no idea. I feel like you could just sit somebody down in Congress and have them observe. Well, Trump. Yeah, all you got to do, yeah. Trump's been good at judging female appearance. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. they paid Trump $50,000 to do but that. But do you trust Trump to make the decision? Well, he does on Miss Universe. He's an expert at this. <laughs> you just need to put all of the Republican women and, me- and, and women and the Democratic women in Tinder. Well, there's that. Yeah. That's all you got to do. Just, that didn't cost 50 grand. Or not necessarily even Tinder, but when I was a kid, there was a website. I don't know if it's still around. It's called Hot or Not. And no. you just get on and go, yep, yep, nope, nope, yep, nope. And you just do that back and $50, forth. $50,000. Wow. And you know the Republicans probably put them up because they want to <laughs> tell the Democratic, the women in Congress, see, you're not why, as feminine. Why would you do this? No idea. Do you know how much ice cream I can make with $50,000? Yeah. They could have just paid that to me. Yeah, but it wouldn't have been as offensive. True. <laughs> Sorry. So if you have to pick your study, should we get Finch's drunk, mm. bee stings to people, mm-hmm. to one guy, yeah. and or 
the study on which women are more feminine and have more feminine features, Democrats or Republicans that's in a, Congress. That's a positive way to spin it. <sighs> what is happening? And now we and then we all are like flabbergasted that Trump is mm-hmm. going to go head to head with Clinton. Right. This is crazy. America. What's going on with America? It's America. It's America. true. Man, makes you want to just go get 276 dogs and put them in your house and escape. Boof. Doesn't it? Hey, a little uh, Jack Jack Black, mm-hmm. not dead. Oh, good. Not dead. Apparently, something went out on social media. There was a frenzy, and I guess somebody put a thing out there that he's dead. There can be a Kung Fu Panda 4 now. Yeah. Kids, kids across the country rejoice. They, I guess, and around he, the world. Tenacious D is the one that put it out, and he that's said, his band. We had a we had a Twitter account hacked. Ooh, we can assure you that Jack is alive and well, both capitalized, alive, alive, and well. It's always a hack. Yeah, it's never you just. And that was a sick a prank, said Tenacious D. Their their band. <laughs> or was like the tweet that said he's alive and well. Was that the hack? Yeah, you never do we, know. Do we really know? Well, that's a really good point, guys. Has he regained control of his account? Jack Black may or may not be dead. We cannot <laughs> confirm. I bet he, that's always bad when you read the press and you're like, oh, I'm dead. Wow. I didn't even know I was that sick. Really, that really I can o- do whatever open, I want. really opens up the day for me. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go talk to Don today. I have a meeting with Don. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm going to see if he wants to be more like the CEO. There's a CEO that takes every Friday off. Mm. Brian Scudamore, CEO of O2E Brands. Every Friday he takes off. So I'm going to go propose that to Don. And he probably walks right by the ping pong table and foosball tables. He heads exactly. out the door. The juice bar is on the left. Because he, he wants to be with his kids. He wants to go skiing and cooking and learning languages and biking. <sighs> Work-life balance. Give me so a break. I'm just gonna I'm gonna pitch it to Don. What's the worst thing you could say? No, you're fired. <laughs> then I have every Friday off. Or he could say no, and I'll just do what I do anyway. Just take it off, and then just use my my vacation time. <sighs> He'll say yes. He loves us. He loves this show. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, Kim Giles from Clarity Point Coaching will be joining us. How to teach your kids, really, when you think about it, important lesson of life, life isn't fair. How to teach them that life isn't fair and how to do it without being a jerk. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. BYU Broadcasting is currently looking for a studio manager in their production department. For more information on this job opening and others... Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. This just in, my boss, Don Shaline, just okayed Fridays off forever. It's going to happen. But uh, more importantly, Kim Giles is with us. Kim is a uh, president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching, popular life coach. She's been out of – she's normally here about every other week, but she was out of the country to India yeah. sweating curry. <laughs> it was only 113 was it? Oh, where that's I right. was. Yeah, it's like the warmest ever. Ever. 
Yeah, the streets were melting. It was so... It was... But you were speaking at the Women's Economic Forum. Forum. How cool are you? Well, we actually had a lot of women from Utah that, that... we were well represented. People kept saying, Utah, every, there's so many people from Utah, which is amazing. That's We've got cool. so many talented women that are serving yeah. around the world in humanitarian efforts and making a difference in the lives of people. I was proud of my state. Atta girls, all of yous. Yeah. You, you guys killed it because um, I, I heard a lot about that from a variety of people. But then I also – you were just telling me that you didn't – just do the forum. You also went and saw apparently every temple in India. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going for. But really, but a lot fascinating of incredible things to learn about the Sikh religion yeah. and Jains and and the Hindus and Muslims Neat. and all of these ancient temples. It's an amazing place to are go. Are they are they all like us as of humans? Of course, we're all the same. Right. We are, and we all have faith, and it doesn't matter that we call God a different name. Yeah. When we're on our knees praying for help, it's exactly the same. Needing the same guidance and insight. Absolutely. That's pretty neat. And um it also jives probably with our topic today because my kids, I think if I could take my kids to India and show them how good they've got it. Yeah, you know that, that might was, be very helpful. It was in my heart so much of the time because for example, kids in third world countries don't get to go to school unless their parents have the money to pay. Uh. Their school isn't free. And there's so many, especially girls, that don't get the chance to get an education. And I've got kids here that are sloughing school and, yeah. and don't go why? and why? fail why? out right. and don't even appreciate the amazing blessing it is to get an education and have a leg up in life for for a career and to support yourself. But it's um, it's life. And one of the things that I know you want to talk about and bring up is this lesson to teach our kids about life. Life's not fair. It's it's certainly not fair that our kids land in this place where education's, you know, seemingly free, but you got to do it versus yeah. countries and areas where people would die to be able to read oh, and to even carry a book. Anything have a to book. go to school every yeah. day. What do you do to teach your kids these lessons? How do we begin to show our children and also help them deal with disappointment? Because mm-hmm. even in our little westernized culture where we've got so much good, they feel like their life's not fair either, right? Yeah, they don't. I mean, I, it started so young. I remember with my kids where if his cookie was bigger than the one I, you gave this yeah. kid, you were going to have a fit. <laughs> crying and bawling, but he got more than me, right? right, right. And it drives us parents oh. nuts. Grow up! Well, Excuse and, me. And it, and it is, you know, all kids, I think, have sort of a sense of entitlement yeah. and, and the world revolves. They're a little bit of a narcissist they're totally when they're young. self-centric. Yeah. That's just it's who they are. It's all about me and uh-huh. what I'm getting or not getting. Yeah. But we as parents can do some things to kind of nip that in the butt yeah. early on. yeah, yeah. And actually, one of the ideas that I share with my clients, I didn't have. I I got this from a client who told me when his kids were young, he remembers a time that he dished up the ice cream. And one of them started in with, she got more ice cream than me. Look, you know, my bowl's not as full. And so he grabbed that child's ice cream away and, and really nicely said, it sounds like you might be having an appreciation problem. <laughs> so I'm going to help you with that. And we're just going to take your ice cream back away. And he put the bowl in the freezer and that kid devastated. Sat, devastated. Now I'm not getting any. And he said, well, if you don't appreciate the blessings that you get in life, then you know, you're know you not going to get anything. 
That's a great they, lesson. They didn't take, keep it, take it away forever. Yeah. But they let him go a while. Uh-huh. And then they said, you know, here's your options. You could either have nothing or you could really appreciate getting something. That is – that's perfect. And he was a lot more grateful yeah. to get his ice cream back. And, and I thought – Little things like that are are just a way to help our kids recognize that this is life. It is not always going to be fair. Sometimes you're not going to get what other people got, but this is your option. You either suffer and are miserable or you focus on gratitude for what you do have. Yeah. And Wow. That's a great parenting tip. What do you do with the kid that is then laughing as the other one gets nothing? Yeah, I would take his way too. Yeah, I'd tase that one. Yeah, and then we, then we'd have a talk. Yeah. Also, <laughs> some you know good I mean? parenting lessons. Because <laughs> I've got I've got kids that play off each other like that, and then it gets really ugly and complicated. But then you take everything away until everyone appreciates. Yeah, or you have some really good family night lessons yeah. about and what it means to drilling it in their treat head. other people the way we want to be treated. Yeah. Oh man, that's good. What what else? What else can we well, do to get this idea across? You know, this across? this topic actually came up because I had a, a reader from KSL write me and say, "This I'm having this problem with my adult children." Uh-huh. Because my son or my daughter feels like I do more for the other sibling than I do for them. And true, I've helped them with a car, but I helped you with a house. And they feel like, you know, we we don't have a lot of resources, but we've tried where we could to help our kids. But it can't always be even. Right, right. And we're not we, – we can't Mm-mm. work to make no. sure that it's always even. So what do you do when it's you've got adult question. kids that are jealous? Because that happens when you're – when you've got those that marry and move on and how come she got a car and I have to drive the truck? Yeah. I get that every day. <laughs> like, I would have killed for a truck. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so it's Fix a little it. late to to do the ice cream thing and yeah. and handle it that way. And and the other thing that's a little hard when they're adults and and your kids may be more teens, but especially as they get adults, it's a little harder to sit down and and have a talk to change their behavior, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that's appropriate to have a mutually validating conversation and ask them questions about how they feel. And give them a really safe space to vent and own all those feelings. And then ask permission if they would be open to hearing a different perspective. Because, you know, everything in life is is everything we feel and experience is based on perspective, the way you're looking at it. And there's usually other ways to look at it. And maybe you'd be able to ask permission to share another perspective and open their mind. And maybe that will help. But even if it doesn't. What that means is that child isn't ready at this point for the lesson. Yeah, they're not here. They're not in that space yet to learn this. So I kind of get to a place where you've got to trust the universe that the time will come, that they will they'll be ready yeah. and that they'll get it. I mean, I I talk about this a lot, that I believe life is a classroom. Yeah. And the universe is a wise teacher conspiring to educate us. So I believe sooner or later that child is going to get some perfect lessons to help them work through this. Mm-hmm. And maybe I will help facilitate it. Maybe not. But I'm not going to lose sleep over right. the fact that they haven't got it yet and that they feel this way about me mm-hmm. because that's really not about me. Yeah. It's about them and what lessons they're learning. Oh, that's hard because now I've got to wait for them to get the lesson yeah. to appreciate me Yeah. So <laughs> instead I, of forcing that lesson <laughs> upon them. Yeah, and we—that's all about you, though. Right, that's about not, what you need, not about what exactly. they need. Yeah, and what good does it do, right? Because 
a forced lesson's never going to be appreciated. No, if they're not ready for it, you really can't force yeah. it anyway. Right. But I do have some other tips we could talk about if you're the one who's having jealous feelings. Like why are they getting this benefit and I don't get the benefit? Yes, because I think in reality all of us at times feel like life's unfair. Absolutely. That's a perfect tease. You've just teased the next block. Let's take a break. Okay. It's like you've had your own radio show. It's like I've done this before. Holy cow. We'll have more with Kim Giles uh, from Clarity Point Coaching. Go check out her website, claritypointcoaching.com. More value per pound than any other coaching site. Per pound. Per pound. Thanks, Matt. It weighs tons, tons of information. Stick with us more with Kim Giles when we come back. of the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, joined by our very own uh, Kim Giles, one of our great contributors from Clarity Point Coaching. She's the head coach there, also has a, is one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country, according to Good Morning America. We've now called her one of the top advice gurus in the um, intergalactic area. Yeah, it gets better every time I'm on the show. Yes, My it does. rain expands. <laughs> well, your power is expanding. And she's uh, hot off the trail of from three weeks, three plus weeks in India. Yep. That's beautiful. The cool story. It's an amazing that, world out there. It really is. Um, before we were talking about your uh, how, how we get become more appreciative instead of just thinking about how bad the world has been to us. And you're going to give us some tips so if I start to feel bad because something didn't happen that I wanted to happen, how do I not get angry and mad because so-and-so keeps getting all these gifts or blessings and I don't? What do we do? Okay. So I'm going to basically give you a little bit of a coaching process that anybody at home can do yeah. when you start feeling gypped and wronged and life's unfair and I'm not getting what I wish I had. The first thing I would recommend is you sit down with some paper and you really get the, those feelings out on paper, what you're experiencing. And what about what's this pain that, that they're bringing up yeah. in you? And what's it about? Write it all down. And then when you've got it out on paper, ask yourself, what could these feelings be here to teach me? Ooh. Yeah. My own feelings. My own feelings. What are they here to teach me? Because I believe every single experience you have in your life is a lesson. Right, it's it's there for here some. to teach you something. And 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 ask yourself, what kind of behavior could these kinds of feelings produce? And if I behave that way, what's that going to create? Yeah. What's that, what what's life going to look like if I embrace these feelings hmm. and I stay here with this perspective? Yeah. What does that look like long term? Yeah. What's it going to give you? Because I guarantee that. When you get in a scarcity mindset, fear of loss, jealousy, yeah. it's not going to create what you want. No, it never does. Nothing good comes from that at never all. Never pretty. Yeah. Um, ask yourself questions like, why does other people's happiness threaten me? Hmm. Do, their, do their blessings actually take anything away from me? Does That's the jealousy serve me at any level? Right? Yeah. yeah. These, these kinds of questions. 
So I, I like my clients to get this stuff on paper because you learn the lesson at a different level right, when you've right. written it down than if you're just thinking and you're it internal, through. And it takes you a little longer to get it out, to get it down. Yeah. That's cool. So then you want to ask yourself, what other options do I have? What other perspectives could I bring to this? If, if what I really want to feel is safe and blessed and grateful and loving, what, what are my other perspective options? Mm. And, and what are my fallbacks is just the fact that life is a classroom and we're all getting the specific lessons we need. And apparently my brother needs a lesson right now of being really rich and having lots of money yeah. and doing those things. And I need a lesson that involves more struggles or, you know, right. the situation I'm in. And, and at the end of the day, I have to trust God in the universe that I'm in the right journey for me hmm. and that I'm not here because I'm not as good as, as them. Yeah. I'm not here because God's punishing me and, and doesn't like me, right? I'm here for the lessons. This is for the le- that, boy, that takes so much faith, doesn't it? Like a belief that the journey is the key. It does. Not but the outcome. Really, if we'll adopt a belief that life is your perfect classroom and everything that happens yeah. is the universe conspiring to bless you and educate you and make you better. If you would adopt that mindset, it'll change your perspective on right. everything. But what if you just want to be rich? <laughs> <laughs> if I just want to be rich, then you might always be the victim. Yeah. But you know what? Goals are okay. Yeah, yeah. Intention is okay. Then I'm going to work hard and shoot for this. But right. at the same time, you have to have a level of trust right. that whatever you get is the perfect classroom. That's what and, you're supposed like, to get. Right. So I also encourage my clients to make a written policy that they are committed to, that they will not compare themselves or their journey with anybody else. Oh, that's good. Because no one on the yeah. planet is in the same class nope. as you are. Mm-mm. And and we just can't compare. You won't compare. And the other thing you got to remember is that at one level, somebody's journey may look great, but I guarantee they've got problems yeah. and struggles that are different than the ones Give you're them, having. Yeah. And you don't even know about them. But if you had their blessings, you'd also have their problems. And oh, yeah, so true. everybody's journey Everyone. gets hard. Everybody has something. So I we know. just Isn't have to that, be careful of yeah. jealousy. Yeah, don't, that's why don't covet what they have because you don't know everything they have. Yeah. So then sit down and make a list of two things. First, everything you're grateful you don't have in your life. Oh, wow. Now, that's a little bit different than where we usually go with gratitude. Yeah. But you think there's a lot of things that you could have in your life. You could be battling cancer. Right. You could have a kid with cancer. You could and you know, you could have could, a cheating you spouse. Have. You could, I could go on and on. Yeah. Well, and things you could have just because of your genes. Like if you know... One of your brothers has Alzheimer's and your dad died of Alzheimer's and your grandpa died of Alzheimer's. You could be grateful you don't have Alzheimer's. I mean, Hugely it's part of you. grateful. It, it could be you. Absolutely. And yet it's not. Boy. And then make a list of what you're grateful you do have. That's great. And boy, I've been making a long one after this trip to India. The blessings I that bet. we have. And I think, you know, even on our worst day, our life is so much better than <laughs> most people on the planet have it. I made friends with some women from um, Kenya and life in their village Uh, is so horrible and violent and awful. And really, I guarantee your worst day is still better than most people on the planet. And we have so much to be grateful for. Mm, That's good, Cam. That's a good list. That's a, those are great tools. Where can they get that? Um, Actually, this 
was a, an article published on KSL.com, but it's now on my blog. So if you just go to CoachKimGiles.com. Coach Kim Giles. You can get this article about teaching children life isn't fair. That's incredible. And I'm sure your articles are going to be different now because you've been to India. Oh, well. Don't you think? I'm sure I've gained Somewhere. a little different perspective oh, yeah. on some things. Some, plus you've lost a little weight. <laughs> Couldn't eat that eat spicy three food. <laughs> Good to see you, Kim. Thanks for being Thanks, here. Thanks, Matt. Go to CoachKimGiles.com. CoachKimGiles.com and uh, excellent information, folks. And, and seriously, see where you are grateful. See why you should be grateful. What a great lesson for all of us. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Normally at this time we'd be tossing to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, but apparently they found someone else today. Oh, come on! I know! They are so rude. They're they're in the middle of an interview. And when you're in the middle of an interview, sometimes they go longer than you expected and then you can't get out of them. You know, it's like that lady at the the wedding that just keeps talking to you. And you just want to get away. But, you know, I usually just push her aside. I know. Yeah. That's the problem. That's no, the problem. no, the problem's the woman. No. No. Uh-uh. The problem is not the woman. Man, I'm doing man. everybody a service when I do that. You know what we need to do? And I've decided we don't do it enough on the show. We need trigger warnings. Uh, we need a pre-warning of what's coming up so that they can then prepare and decide if they want to listen or not. I totally agree. I need a safe space, um, preferably a glass <sighs> containment on the side. Yeah. Um, I, okay. I feel let me get, let me give you violated a sometimes. Oh, totally, totally. And I'll tell Terry not to do that. Uh, <laughs> Oxford students are that are studying criminal law, right? So these, these are people that want to be Lawyers, but they're studying criminal law. Criminal law. Not just law. Pretty innocent. Right. Have been told that they can duck out of lectures if they find the crimes that they are covering upsetting. Aspiring barristers at the prestigious school now have an option of skipping teaching on potentially distressing acts if they do not feel up to it. Lecturers have been told to start providing trigger warnings – at the start of a uh, of potentially disturbing, you know, classwork segments, so the students can leave. Something like, "Hey, uh, just to make everyone aware, we will be discussing the murder of four whatever." We should probably create a trigger warning disclaimer for the show. I think that come in handy quite a bit. Yeah, um, uh, warning. We are about to try our hand at comedy. Yes, yes. And then everyone just runs away. (laughs) Yikes! Don't make me do it. It seems like, though, if you're going to law school to be a criminal attorney, you would need to get used to some of this. It's kind of like, would they do the same thing in an emergency room? Uh, Anybody studying emergency medicine? There's too much blood there. We are are now going to... um, deal with somebody that has their carotid artery 
cut. Anybody that does not want to see blood can remove yourself. It seems like there's some things if you're in law school and you're going to do criminal law, there's going to be murder scenes. I don't know. Am I just old-fashioned? I don't know. Apparently I am. Ben just shook his head, yeah. Uh, Speaking of crazy stories, uh, Broncos star Aqib Talib got shot at a nightclub. He did. That's weird. An NFL athlete shot yeah, at a so nightclub? It didn't just happen last year. So Didn't that happen every year? It's happened to a Bronco recently, another member of that football team. <sighs> Who was uh, Pla- Plaxico? Didn't he get shot? That was a New York Giant, uh-huh. and it was his own weapon. Uh-huh. He had it in his, in his pocket of his sweatpants. And he said that uh, he went to fumble. He went to grab it, fumbled it, and it went off, and he shot himself in the foot or something. Right now, check out uh, Akib Talib. He's the one that poked somebody in the eye, if I recall, last year. A little eye so. poke, which yeah. happens, you know, it's part of the game. It's inadvertent, except his was advertent on, on purpose, <laughs> but part of the game. Uh, listen to this: is expected to make a full recovery after being taken to the hospital with a gunshot wound to his leg. Oops! Ouch! Was it a real? Do they mean a real gun shot, like a shotgun? No, no, no. Or they just mean just any a, kind of gun. That's small, a little less putting to me. Can you guys stop? It's a oh, trigger does this warning. Make, oh, yeah. sorry. I should have said, yeah, is this bothering you? Yeah. Because we're yeah, going to be talking I, about I'm guns. I'm just going to leave if that's okay. Well, okay, but we'll stop. We'll just stop. Uh, okay. Last offseason, the New York Giants had a player who was playing with the uh, fireworks. Oh, and he got Blew part of his hand off. Yeah. No, it was he defensive end. He's he was, a player. He was bleeding kind. out his hand. There was lots of blood. Yeah. Lots of blood and coming the, out of this. The, then the big thing was uh, who oh, was going to be. We, did, we need to tell people. So we, we, we might be talking about okay, we can't, other stories we can't of people trigger that warnings all morning. might it's blow their take, hands off with fireworks. It's going to take forever to do this if we have to explain. And uh, and any other injuries? No. I mean, car accidents. I mean, a lot of athletes hmm. have been in car accidents, too. So... There's a potentiality that we could talk about car accidents, uh, explosions on hands, gunshots on legs and feet from potential NFL stars in the next few minutes. This could fill in like half of the show's content. Half of the show would be just <laughs> it's a lot of work. Disclaimers. <laughs> that cuts our half down by our work down by half. That's it, awesome. It's almost too much. Yeah, I yeah. think we just uh, do away with the trigger warning. Yeah. And people just kind of deal Let, with it. But let's do keep the trigger warning anytime we talk about politics and okay. that Donald Trump may be saying offensive things. <laughs> and Usually. fireworks and guns. And, and anytime and we knives, talk about fireworks, yeah. guns, knives, or car accidents. Mm-hmm. Right? And if we think of anything or war, else. Well, or war. Because yeah. war could get bad too. Yeah. Right. Or Black Sunday. No, what do they call it? Black, Black Friday. Okay. Shopping. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. That's. That could be. We probably have trigger way, warnings yeah. on Black Friday. Yeah. Well, okay. That's kind of sad. Um, anything else going on that we need to cover without a warning? This came out last year or last week. Does it need a warning? No. Okay. I think it's fine. It is math. So if you have a problem with math. I actually do. Beware. Uh, if anybody has a problem with math. We're not doing math. I'm going to talk about other people who did math and came up with some numbers. Will it bring back bad memories no, for people all. that have done math and had bad problems? Not at all. Okay. We won't get that in depth. Okay. Uh, apparently, it's been a... Uh, a physics uh, – a class, an introductory physics – or a problem in introductory physics classes that asked the students, how long would it take you to fall through the earth? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Like you start drilling Ooh, a hole. Hold it. Uh, we are going to be talking about the potentiality of people falling through the earth. Yes. So if you are somebody that does not like to think about that or has actually fallen through the earth and had a bad experience, please, uh, at this time, we just ask you to step away. Okay. We've given the warning. No more warnings for okay. the story. Okay. okay. They call this a gravity tunnel as you drop through the earth, right? Okay, yeah. It was taught a half century ago that there was the basic thought that it would take us about 42 minutes and 12 seconds to fall from one side of the earth wow. through the hole drilled through the center of the earth and pop out the other side. Ooh. 42 minutes of free fall. That is a lot of falling. So it says, uh, this is a uh, professor who's being quoted here. It says, I guess you can imagine it's like a water slide that takes about 40 minutes to fall through that takes you for a speed over 8 kilometers per second, which is about 17,000. Almost 18,000 miles per hour. Wow. In free fall. Uh, says this guy from McGill University. Halfway through the ride, gravity would switch directions, and you'd have to go from right side up to right side down. You'd have to grab onto the other end, or else you would fall back the way you came. And in the ideas of a water slide, it was actually made of glass. You'd be, like, zooming through a sea of lava. Wow. Because, you know, the center of the Earth is um, lava. Just no, a little we, we warning talked about, it. about not... lava. If any of you have fears of lava, if lava... If you've had lava dreams. If you're from Hawaii. If you've had a lava lamp accident. So then they said there's still one unrealistic assumption that's made in this calculation that was made in 1966. Well, what's that? You skipped the fact that you had to drill a 7,918-mile hole through the earth. And? Just skip that unrealistic idea there. It's the 42-minute solution that people have a problem with. Okay, why? Because they're they're saying that you're you're just assuming that the Earth is the same density all the way through. That's true. So they're actually thinking it's four minutes faster than what was originally oh, good. thought. So we're in the thirties, aren't we? We're down to thirty-eight minutes and yeah. eleven seconds. So they've updated the math. Okay, that's more doable. I've got time for that. <laughs> I'm sitting here like. It's interesting that someone can figure out, you know, for the 42 minutes, but then they update it and it turns into this thing. And you know what? There's it's... videos on YouTube that shows you how to how they did the math if you're interested. But, uh... At the end of the article, there's this little nugget that's interesting. The what? Soviet Union tried digging a hole as deep as they could oh, yeah. okay. into the earth in the 70s. How'd that go? It went from 1970 to 1989. They only got 7.5 miles into the ground. Wow. I don't know why they had to stop, but maybe they just got... Board. It said they got 0.1% of the way through the earth. <laughs> Quitters never win. Right. 0.1%. Seven miles. Seven miles. Holy cow. You know what? Don't tempt your government because your government, we've talked about three studies that were just born in stupidity. Yes. And now when they think, well, man, we maybe we could take Russia's tunnel to seven miles and just keep going. Let's start testing it. Don't test. Don't tempt them. Well, I wonder what Russia was trying to do then. I don't know. What's, tr- on, what's on the other side from that hole? We'd have to find out. They were probably trying to get to the core of the earth. Then what? Hmm. You unleash See, all no, that lava. No, no one thinks what you do once you get to the core. I know. No one plans ahead. Hmm. What's going to happen to Mother Earth when you've just drilled a hole all the way through her gut? They probably wanted to feed surveillance oh, to America right. through that hole. It was a spy situation. Espionage. That's what it was. Just saying. Like, allegedly, right. that's what they were doing. Totally true. I can already feel it. Hey, um, really fast. Uh, Captain America suspected in a bank, uh, an armed bank robbery. Mm. Captain America. Well. 
So how do you feel about that? You're your it's hero. Not, it's not Captain America. No, it's it says right here. They it identified seems, him hold as on, hold on, hold on. squaring off against Iron Man was just the start for Captain America as one-time hero is now suspected of robbing a bank in Kentucky. No. Yes. No. The Lexington Herald Leader just listen to the reports story. three men, mm-hmm. one of them dressed in Captain America mask. Uh-huh. Just a mask. And Captain America sweatshirt. Yeah, a sweatshirt. You can buy these at the store. No, you can't. You buy them. You're given them when you make by shield. Yeah. No, shield did not give give this guy this. And the guy robbed the city national bank Tuesday in Lexington, armed with a handgun. Yeah. Where was his shield? Yeah, that's the thing. There's no shield. Three men got away with cash and escaped into a wooded area near the bank. The mask is the same one my kid has in his closet. So it's how? Why on earth could Captain America? Why couldn't that be him? It's totally him. It's not him. No, it's him. No, I'm sure it's no, not it him. No, it says right here. Absolutely, it's not. You know it's him. It's not Steve Rogers. What do you mean? Who's he Steve Rogers? He was busy. That's Captain America. No, it's not. It is. His Captain name America's is, real. His name is Steve Rogers. That's not him. Alert nerd. You are such a nerd. That's just some guy wearing a sweatshirt and a mask robbing a bank. Or robbing what? A convenience store? A bank? Do you see whatever? how much he has to hold back? He's holding back. I know. Like it's his ridiculous. veins are pulsing. Everyone knows. Pulsing now, veins. You've got pulsing veins. This is a trigger because this would be a spoiler warning if you haven't seen the movie. Captain America is hiding out in Wakanda. It's different. Nerd alert! Wow. How come you'll do a trigger alert for Captain America movies? I was just going with the theme of the show. Because he respects the, the, <laughs> the community of comic books. Just going with the ridiculous themes of the show. Nerd alert! Not to be rude trigger to anybody warnings. that is a nerd. Anyways, you know, we like to always wrap up with a hero story. What better hero story than, of course, uh, a crabber? Listen to this. Chesapeake Bay crabber Jeremy Shockey calls himself a pirate, but a lot of other people are calling him hero. He was at the dock in Maryland Wednesday evening when he heard a mayday call, grabbed a crew, and rescued 22 people, including 14 children whose boat had sunk in a remote area about 35 miles north of him. The school group's uh, boat went down after hitting a submerged object in a restricted area around Bloodsworth Island, and the Navy used a boomerang, uh, oh, sorry, used as a bombing range for more than 50 years. Man, so they went down, and guess what happened? Bada boom, bada bing, you get a call. Shockley gets in his boat, gets out there, saves uh, 22 people. He's the hero of the day. Again, just somebody that's there. You're available. I'll get out there. A crabber, 14 kids, 8 adults from a sunken boat in Chesapeake Bay. You're the hero of the day, Mr. Shockley. That's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. More tools, more ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger. Until tomorrow, take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll be right back.